Right, this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. I should actually come up with some sort of term, because here's the problem. I actually think it's not a good tagline to go like the biggest League of Legends podcast, because one, there's different metrics anyway. But like, what we really need is we need like a, a tagline. Like, I'll give you an example. Richard on By the Numbers, I think he used to say like the premier CSGO podcast or something. <laughs> yeah, like some like, and maybe for ours, it should be like iconic or something. I feel like that's the angle we should go with, you know? Uh, the most boomer, the oldest. It's all of those things. Longest running. Most episodes, it's all of these things. It's all everything. Of these it's every, in many ways. You're right. That's my problem, isn't it? In many ways, it's 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 like love. It's all things to all men. That's the thing about this show. <laughs> to a TSM hater, it is just fuel for hatred. It's just people only ever talk. The joke is, whatever your focus is, that's all this show is. So if you're a fan of Reckless, all we do on this show, literally all we've ever done, is just say Reckless is the worst player ever with no good reason. And then in the mid, in mid time, when you were tuned out, we'd just blah, 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 blah. And then just, yeah, Reckless is the worst. If you are a fan of Korean League of Legends, all we've ever talked about is Korean League of Legends, is how good it is, how every other region's trash. <laughs> JLPL never win again. We haven't done any of these things, course, but that's the genius of what we've done is we have become this universal yeah, like the Philosopher's Stone. There you go. This podcast is the Philosopher's Stone of esports <laughs> media. There you go. No one else right. can claim Bring, that. The alchemy references seems appropriate. No one else can claim uh, that. Yeah, especially TSM fans who think that we spend so much time talking about TSM as if they're relevant because the thing is, TSM has only ever been relevant in the minds of TSM fans. It's never been relevant for any true League of Legends fan at any point in time. And we've also just proven them wrong because guess what? In this last two years where they had none of the players we had any beef with, we just barely talked about them. <laughs> barely at all. Like, you unless know, we actually had like a TSM member on the show, we've almost never talked about them. It's like they're, they're actually consigned to like the basement bit of the LCS teams right now. Remember, remember that time, uh, remember that time when we just kept getting told that like Parth and Reginald were so brilliant for the way they can continuously construct winning rosters and that it definitely wasn't the fact that Bjergsen was just on this team the entire time and was attracting talent to himself in spite of the flaws with the team. Not that Parth did any of the, the negative things that Reggie was doing, bursting into the room and shouting at players, um, far from it, I think. But now that they don't have Bjergsen, ever since Bjergsen, you know, there's an alternate, there's a glorious alternate timeline, Thorin, where Bjergsen never signed that contract deal where he was supposed to be a free agent and then just never tested the free agent market, just signed a brand new three-year deal at less money than he should have been paid at that time to stay with TSM. And uh, TSM would have fallen apart much sooner because it turns out it was not the brand. It wasn't the expertise of the management. It wasn't the expertise of the GM building the roster. It was just Bjergsen being the magnet for for other players that wanted to play with him. That's it. That's all they ever had. That's all they ever were. Exactly. By the way, in case you're unaware, if you're watching this show on Twitch, go ahead and chuck us over that Twitch Prime. It all helps. Here's the difference. <laughs> if you give that to a super rich streamer, they still get a Lambo anyway. They could just afford a custom paint job. You could probably put like a, well, in the modern day, you wouldn't put PogChamp, but you would have put PogChamp back in the day when PogChamp <laughs> was untainted, wouldn't you? So we don't even <laughs> have Lambos. Some of the edgier streamers would the have put The difference is we <laughs> actually could use that money to do things with our channel and with our company. As I say, all you're doing there is they just have a different flavor 
smell inside the Lambo. They just get a different mint one instead of the <laughs> natural calf scent or whatever the fuck. When they're coming out, they just probably they're probably so stupid. They probably pay for all that extra stuff. Like you know, you know, if you don't know when you go in those car dealerships where they're just putting in like things that don't even exist as services at the end. Like then you want this, right? You want like the decarburetor carburating decarburation process. That's like two hundred. And you're like, it's just for plebs at the end. It's basically like getting the insurance on a whole bunch of items that you never ever claim to scam. We aren't doing that. We actually need it. Also, if you enjoy the video on your YouTube, one, you can click on the channel and check out the other shows, Power Spike or Tomorrow Will Be Best Damn League Show. And you can also like the video, sub, write a comment. Even if, by the way, the comment is something inane and stupid. In fact, some would say that's entirely the sort of type of comment that is typified by the internet. So just go ahead and do it. Spoiler, we're not reading it, so we're not getting it tilted. In fact, here's the thing. You might even just tilt a TSM off Fanatic fan, so roll the dice, you know, <laughs> give it a go. Could, could, end up, could end up well for you. Yeah. Uh, we also are doing uh, on our Discord, which you should join for some quality esports discussion. Uh, we are doing questions on our shows via Discord subscriptions now. So if you guys click on the little subscribe link at the top of our Discord, you will have access to channels where you can ask questions, that we will answer after this. And hopefully in the future, we can give you guys some more meaningful stuff like merchandise discounts whenever we get around to that. Um, we did a live event last year. Hopefully we'll be doing more of those in the future. So there you go. All the all the gorgeous options you have to support Last Free Nation. Thank you very much. By the way, I have an aside because I tried asking Dom this, but unfortunately I forgot that because he co-streams, he by definition is one of the only people who actually does have the stream muted, Monty. You know, everyone else just lies about that. I just <laughs> mute this. They say the same, the joke is they say the same about the show. They go, I just skip to when the guest talks and then every comment is exactly like in word for word what I said and what they heard about. It's like, well, which is it, bro? You obviously did it. But the difference is, turns out Dom does actually have it muted. So when I asked him this question, he had no take on it basically. I I wondered what you thought because I saw quite a lot of like I wouldn't say incredibly negative, but I would say the general sentiment was negative to troubling doing those interviews that she did after the draft and while the game's going into like level one. She would do interviews with coaches from the teams, right? And I thought these court interviews oh, were really good. good, Monty, because she was actually the difference is whereas the normal interview would be along the lines of what do you think about playing this team? Wow, are they a rival of yours? They are number one and you are number five. Is it a big game? Normally, you just get the very simple. These were, because she's an analyst, she was bringing real shit from the draft, dude. Like, oh, interesting band there, whatever. And the, the key thing is, because the logic would be, even though the other coaching staff can hear, remember, it's a game where you can't do a timeout and tell the players. They were actually giving good infos. All these coaches were like actually giving away the game of why they drafted something or what they thought. Like, was this a surprise? But I thought these were really good, actually. Man. I thought it was quite an underrated use of one of the analysts. Yeah, I think that anything that you can get in those time frames is valuable. And also, it depends on what the the coaches are going to give up about the draft. But I feel like what the problem with a lot of these esports interviews is that people get so precious about knowledge as if you have to safeguard every single thing that you know, even if it's common knowledge among professionals within the scene. And so you have to hit the sweet spot of not giving away too much, but giving enough information that the casual fan will be interested and give them information that they may not have. And I feel like previously, many coaches or players were really against giving any information at all which always struck me as totally ridiculous oh it's silly and, 
you know, there are going to be certain instances about picks you've been practicing, certain counter picks, certain team compositions, certain kind of set plays or level ones that obviously you you really don't want to give up, right? But you don't actually have to spill all of your secrets in an interview like that. You can talk about the basic principles behind the draft, which, by the way, your opponent is also going to understand from being a professional within the game and not give up anything that is going to be detrimental. And so to the credit of the people that have been interviewed, I feel that they've been doing that, which is for me a very refreshing change within esports. And I like these segments because it allows you to frame the game from one of the team's perspectives to see if they're accomplishing their own goals. And then it becomes a point of discussion on the broadcast where it's like the casters are saying, oh, well, this person said this didn't exactly work out this way. I wonder if they're going to change that in the next game. You can then carry that into the analyst desk segment after the game. Did it work? Did it not work? So it creates a through line from the perspective of the teams. Also allows you, because they do those coach cams at LEC, which I really like, to look backstage and see, oh, are they reacting to this thing they said going very well? It gives you timings as well to do that. And it just stitches together a more complete narrative and involves the teams and involves those personalities. So I really like it. I, I don't know why people would be mad at it. Yeah, the other thing I would just say is I do think in the past they were way too precious. Like, we've actually told the story. If you go back long enough, you'd have to go back to the early days of summoning insight. The more, the worst for that easily were the old school Korean coaches. Like, you remember that story yeah. you told about how at, like, some IEM, they wouldn't even allow, like, they were, like, mad that, like, comms were even being recorded or something. As though, like, you know, this was, like, some secret where the whole West was aligned. They're going to listen. Oh, my God, listen, this shit got it all. Like, and the, and the premise was, like, no one was even sharing there the with Korean translators. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we're going to give it to all the North yeah. American teams now. <laughs> that, they, were, they were treating it though like it was like the secret sauce, like all the flavors, and they had to keep the fucking formula hidden. Like, oh my God. Because the thing is, like in the modern day, I agree. If anything, it just plays a positive. Like in this context, the draft's already been done. You can't go back and do anything differently. It just helps us know things like maybe you didn't expect this pick. Maybe you got something you wanted. Like it gives us a better framing for the game so that we can set our own expectations. Whereas, like, I do think too many coaches, like essentially the ultimate example of people don't know in sports is Bill Belichick. Like he and she will give nothing away at any point in time. Like you could, like the best case scenario, you have to talk to a player that's been retired. Then maybe he'll tell you something. Otherwise, I mean, he, he is has famous. amazing stuff if you he, talk about like historical stuff. But, but the yeah. problem is, he is famous for he just refuses to give any detail away. But the difference is, in a massive game like American football, people don't know there are tiny margins and things that you could give away about a scheme or so that might. There's nothing like that in league. Like you say, if the guy drafted Lee Sin and Lee Sin's in the matter, there's not really anything crazy I'm going to give away at this point <laughs> by saying about him picking. Legion and whether I expected it or not. Like, I'm not even really giving information away. Like, as you say, they're going to know roughly about how these drafts play out and how scrims work, whether or not this is something crazy. So, most of the time, you're actually just helping the viewer. And in my opinion, the last thing I'll say on this topic is this is if you're one of those coaches who goes bloody Reddit narratives, well, you better participate in these. Because if not, you are essentially saying, like, a fan isn't allowed to have an opinion because he doesn't know everything inside my team. Like, well, are we yep. going to have a spot then, guys? Like, one, we need them to have an opinions, and two, they have no way to even guess. Like, I can only guess from knowing loads of players and shit behind the scenes. I couldn't guess if I had zero info. It's also because it's different than traditional sports where the traditional sports viewer isn't an active participant in the sport in question. So a traditional sports viewer will watch it for the entertainment factor and then walk away. The esports viewer is trying to themselves get it. Most of them are trying, not me, but most other people are trying to themselves get information that they can apply to their own gameplay to improve at the game. 
and if you keep that in mind, you you always have to remember that when you're creating this kind of esports content, if you're a professional team or whatever, because it's not just people there to watch the game. People are there to learn. And so if you're not teaching them, they get bored and they leave. That's different than traditional sports that just want to see the next amazing athletic play. They're not interested in a deep relationship with the sport. Some people are, but the vast majority of people are not. They're there purely for mindless entertainment. Uh, and it's it's a big difference. So you have to keep that always in the back of your mind, I think, when you're dealing with any kind of esports content. Can we talk about LEC then? Because obviously LEC is technically the region that has already begun the playoffs. That's one area I want to start, by the way, before we get into all the narratives. That's the one part that throws me off a bit here, Monty, is the idea that, remember before we had these clean phases, we went from the BO1 phase, the round robin, into the groups, and then we finish up. But then what they did is finish the groups, and then because obviously Koi and G2 had already won their groups like the previous week, they just played the first match, which was the upper bracket final, like Monday, to me, that yeah. was a bit jarring. It's like, I'm not, I've only feel like I'm just finished with groups and we're already into the playoff match. Like, what the fuck? Well, not only that, Thorin, but I think part of the problem with doing things this way is that uh, you make sure that you can't get on the latest patch for the remainder of the actual playoff bracket because they didn't switch the patch between oh, right. Sunday and Monday. Right. So they're still on 13.1B, whereas LCS and LCK are on 13.3. So they're on the next patch. And I think that... I think the scheduling is difficult because they're they're actually shifting the games next week. So LEC is running th uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday instead of Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So they want three days next week, but they only want one best of five a day. So there are four best of fives, obviously, in a double elimination four-team bracket, right? And so when we look at what's, what has to happen, they actually do have to, you know, move, either have four days next week or do two best of fives in one day or... I mean, they chose the op option of doing three days and three days instead of two days and four days or what have you. But because they didn't switch the patch from Sunday night or from Sunday to Monday, they end up on a previous patch for the entirety of the next week, which is also awkward because you don't want to play the first match, obviously, on one patch and then play the rest of the playoff bracket on a different patch. It's very confusing. So it has actually disrupted the patch cycle. Um I feel like a little bit. And as you say, it was a little bit awkward. Now, it was very hype. I was glad to get this best of five this week. It was very exciting. And now we know that G2 is going to be guaranteed to play on Sunday of next week. And we've got and they're MSI now for sure. Yep. And we've got uh, no, no, they are. They're in the finals. So they're top two. Yeah, but they're top two. But we're going to have another split before MSI. Um, so it's the winner of each split, I believe, goes to MSI. Oh, uh, OK. Let me check. I could be wrong. Oh, I think you're it's right. the winner no, you are right. You have to win. You have to win. Okay. I, mean, I was just thinking it was top two because top because two teams go there, right? So it's yeah, the winner so, of each split, right? Okay. So, but there, there are certain things where it's like if it's based on circuit points, depending on placement, if the same team wins both winter and spring, they they created yeah. a good system for it, uh, I think. But in, in any case, yeah, they they will have a very high, I would say, especially after we saw that Koi game, a very high likelihood of of making it to MSI and just qualifying for themselves early, which means that, you know, they could be a little bit more experimental and freewheeling, I think, in the in the spring split, should they want to do that. Um, but yeah, it is it is kind of an awkward situation because I was talking about this a bit on Power Spike, but it is this spring has been very difficult to watch if you're watching multiple regions because LPL has been on 13.1. This last week, LPL was on 13.1, LEC was on 13.1B, and LCK and LCS were on 13.3. So it becomes really 
And there's a lot of changes. So it becomes really hard to compare teams <clears throat> across regions um, or even remember which patch anyone yes, is on exactly. at any given point. I'm sure it makes draft analysis a nightmare. <laughs> it, it does, because you're like, oh, wait, no, they're not on this patch. Oh, shit. What was actually Oh, they let something through. Patch? Oh, that's actually nerfed. Now it's not a problem. Yeah, you're, you're like trying to yeah. remember what was changed because exactly. you're, you're trying to think about three different patches at the same time. Um, my favorite, by the way, luckily it doesn't happen as often, but my favorite are those nightmare weeks where you have this happen in the past seasons and you would have shit, Monty. Like in Korea, they've already started doing something and a guy drafts it in like LEC. And it's like, bro, that patch hasn't hit yet. That's that's actually not the buffed <laughs> version. You know, I've seen people do that before with some wacky ones. I mean, I watched I watched <laughs> Gen G uh, draft, uh, draft Yumi against KT after Yumi was nerfed. So, you know, who knows why teams do what they do. <laughs> they lost. Spoiler. Uh, um, so I, I, I think that it's, I'm not, I do love this new LEC format. Um, it's just, I wish that they had been able to swap the patch, but there's also reasons why they can't swap the patch. So if Koi and G2 came into this week, knowing they would play on a different patch, then they wouldn't be scrimming teams that same week on the same patch. Right. So you can't practice. So you kind of have to do it. All teams competing have to be on the same patch week for week. So at that point, your your decision is, do you put four games in the next week or do you put two best of fives, which would be up to 10 games in one day? That's an extremely long broadcast day. The only time League of Legends really does that is at Worlds, where you have potentially nine or 10 games in a single day. Um, there's probably laws in Germany about overtime that might make that extremely expensive, potentially, if you had two full five-game sets. Um, but it's not ideal. It's not ideal to keep the the LEC back, I think, on the previous patch for such a long time. I have no idea why LPL has been on 13.1. In fact, they're just going to skip, as I understand it, to 13.3 starting tomorrow um, slash today in China. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 a it's very awkward scheduling. But I suppose I would still trade this LEC format for that in the end. Right, let's talk about some of the results, because obviously the big storyline that has to dominate what happened right now in the LEC isn't even G2 going to the final. It's that Vitality didn't even make playoffs. Like, even though, on paper, remember, they were supposed to make it semi-easily out of their group, because there was the group that had SK, Koi, you know, they didn't, they missed G2 and Madwitz, the other top teams. And not only did they manage to lose to Koi, and Koi won the group, but they got beaten by the SK Gaming, that funnily enough, the narratives all were... This is the problem with the format, isn't it? In the round robin, you can get those BO1 wins, you can look good, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, bet series is a different thing. It's like, the Vitality narrative has collapsed in on itself. Like, we can do the SK side, but it's more the Vitality angle to me. Like, this was the team before this phase that was considered, like, number one. They probably had, like, MVP candidates, like, Boar Perks, like, four, the Photon guys, unbelievable. Like, even the, the bot side thing, people weren't commenting that much in the BO1s because they won most games. It feels like the entire narrative now is just that the bot side didn't work. Bot is incredibly impactful right now in League of Legends. And then on top of that, once they got into these series, they didn't just lose. Some of these games are like a little bit embarrassing the way they lose, mate. I mean, I think there's there's a lot to say about what's what's going on uh, within this team. It is shocking because they, they ended the group stage in first place. Uh, obviously, most people expected them to be really strong. Um, it is definitely more of a bot focused meta, uh, on, in, in the world as a whole. And we've seen that play out basically everywhere where playing through bot lane is almost always the correct 
choice for most teams right now. There are other teams, you know, some LPL teams have been able to get away with shifting that up a little bit, like, uh, and, and still be successful, but it has been, I think, against a bit weaker opponents at times. So like IG, for example, in the LPL has been playing a lot through top lane and having a weaker bot lane or having their bot lane play weak side and also not be super good at the game of League of Legends. But they managed to cobble together quite a few wins, but they also had a bunch of really kind of crappy opponents to start the LPL season and they have come back down to earth um, just a little bit as they've had to, you know, face teams like top esports and JDG in the last week. Um, I think... I think it's really difficult. I, I, I don't know what is going on within this roster. Like, there's no reason why this bot lane should be this bad. Uh, Neon was very good last summer. Um, he didn't have a ton of pressure because obviously he was on a team with VTO, where, which most people recognized was the kind of primary carry and the main threat of that team. But he's also coming to this Vitality team with Carter, his coach from Misfits, who was very good at identifying team strengths and playing through specific players. And it's just the the fundamental nature of these mistakes is just so puzzling. How they go into lane and lose at level one or lose within the first few minutes of the game. They cause they, they massive... fight so much early. It's crazy for a team that's for a bottling that's been so criticized. They always make the action that gets themselves killed early. It's mad. Yeah, I've never seen a team I, I, this active. Like, it's like they they remind me of the old fucking like Jackie Love IG bot lane where it was like they were just going forward no matter what. Like the jungle can be the other side of the map. You could be having a fight on top side. You're just going in no matter what. Like what? I think I think though that the meta is a lot of skirmishing before sure. the the minion wave even hits these days. We've never really seen a meta like this in League of Legends, and it's because of T1. I mean, T1 basically sure. did this, and it's Caria, uh, who. Is playing these, you know, he's he's playing Hail of Blades barrier AD carries, and he's just all inning you on the first minion wave and you know, fighting for HP dominance basically, so that they can continue the pressure and then potentially have the option to dive you, um, get some early plates, you know, control the Drake so you get like a six-minute Drake, and then you can threaten soul at a little over 20 minutes into the game. There's a lot of really great things you can do, and this is the core of the meta. And you do, in many ways, have to scrap it out early on, or you lose. The thing is, is that normally people don't actually die. They just do a, yeah. an unfavorable HP trade uh, and then kind of get pushed in. I think Kaiser, who has traditionally been an engaged support, that's been his role. Maybe there's a different world where if LEC is on patch 13.3 and a lot of these melee supports are buffed, that Vitality looks a lot better in these playoffs. This is one of the problems with not being on the most recent patch. And Riot has straight up said that the ratio before 13.3 was released in, in LCK and LCS. And also, I think it's been changing in other regions as more uh, supports and, and AD carries get banned out. Um, but, uh, you know, they were saying like it's a 20 to 1 ratio of enchanters to, to kind of melee supports within the professional ecosystem, which is obviously super bad. And it's even in solo queue, it's like 2 to 1 enchanters to melee supports. So they've got to do some things to buff this or to nerf what's going on with those with those AD carries. And they, they are working towards that, but it could just be an unfortunate patch situation. I think if I'm Vitality, I'm looking at what Riot is saying and the changes they're making. Now, the changes on 13.3 may not go far enough, 
But because Riot has stated that it is a focus of theirs to get these melee supports and engage supports back into professional play, I think we can assume that on a long enough timeline, they will be successful in doing that. Uh, I think part of why they want that, by the way, is that they don't like like, the fucking ADC support meta that they're doing in Korea now. What do you think? I mean, they fucking hate that. Uh, They have to, surely. Like, spoiler, I know, we'll get to I know later, in their heart of hearts. Like, I'm sure, that. like, obviously we don't see it bleed that over, but anyone who saw Koi this weekend knows, like, stuff like that, Callista, if that ever becomes, like, the actual legit player, more people play those, like the Caitlyn support, it is unbelievable what you can do with him. But it warps the whole game, obviously. <laughs> like, it's not League of Legends as we know it. I, I am personally enjoying it because we've it's never awesome, seen this it? before. Yeah. And it, it is also extremely entertaining. It's not... It's not boring bullshit. It's and like you find really, out which really one of the supports Korea play this stuff. What so. you find out is which support is just a support, or which is like a carrier or a Trimby, where they have like extra depth to what they can do, and they can actually like unlock a whole different side of the game. You, like you see how OP those guys are when this shit's in the meta. Yeah, and it makes for very entertaining games. I think the especially the mid games around some of this, we've seen the kind of like sniper team compositions that T one has put out. They they have no fear in running like Nidalee, Gumiyushi on Varus, and then having a Caitlyn support, and then just everybody just shooting spears and Caitlyn Qs and uh, piercing arrows at one target and a hundred to zeroing the enemy support. It, it's fun. It is the joke is when you consider the long history of T one loving all those like pork and fucking pig comps. It's like this is actually the dream wheelhouse for them. Mix as you it's say, so funny. you can just like <laughs> the joke is it's like you've got three people just executing a fucking character, and if you get caught once. You just actually are stuck with the CC, just getting shot by everyone. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious, isn't it? it? It's it's great. I mean, it it is really it is really entertaining. Um, but I don't think Riot likes it. They said at one point in time, remember the like mage bot lane meta where they said, "Oh, this should be more flexible." Yep. Well, they you'll see, guys. They really rolled back. It's weird how they said, "Oh yeah, you know that we like this. This should be good," and then they just completely stopped that from happening. Now, obviously, we are going to see the occasional zigs or Cassiopeia or niche strats, which is fine. Like I'm, I think that these are interesting methods to play the game that show that players have an additional depth to their champion pools, but we shouldn't be taking a skill set that players have been, you know, professional players like deft have been refining for a decade and then telling them they have to be different players, right? It's only allowed to do that to junglers. They're only allowed to, and to a lesser degree supports, but mostly junglers. Uh, because that's the that's the pact that Riot has made with the player base is that junglers must change, junglers must adapt because we will fuck with the jungler every the jungle every single season, basically. Uh, but everybody else, you kind of know what you're getting in in your particular roles, or you can have a, a specialty like playing you know weak side or tank top laners versus more carry top laners. Like you can get by being a professional player with a either both skill sets or just one of them, right? So. I think I think that they probably really don't like this because the thing is, is they don't want the support role to be a highly mechanical role. I don't think they want that. I think it's there are there are players who want to roam the map, who want to uh, provide utility for the team and who want to play a game without necessarily having the best mechanics. And that's okay. That's okay. I think it's good because it allows different kinds of people to play the game in different ways. And I think positional play is one of the best, it's probably the single best thing that ever happened to meta development in League of Legends, because it allows us to talk about the game, to characterize players, to have these roles that are hard and, and set just like a tradition, most traditional sports within the game. And that is 
makes the game much easier to comprehend, makes it much easier to analyze, makes it much easier to to engage with both on the professional side and the casual side. It is incredibly important. And so I think I think Riot does not want every role to be highly mechanical. And I don't think they want every role to be high damage. And the fact is, is that if you are good at Hail of Blades, 80 carry supports right now, it's just the best. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. It's, that's just how it is. What are the advantages? You can flex them between different roles. You can flex them between 80 carry and support. So now you don't even know what their draft is going to be, particularly on red side. It makes it very confusing to draft against people. You have other champions that are coming up in the meta, like Annie, that can also be flexed. So if you're red side, it gives you huge advantages heading into the fifth pick. Uh, and you can bully people out of lane. You can create that map pressure. You can get objective leads. And that's just the fucking, that's just winning a game of League of Legends right there. On so the actual, really to roll it back, on the actual topic of the SK Vitality series, one thing I found very telling, actually, is I saw there was an interview before this last weekend's play games that they did with Comp, who'd obviously already won the group with Koi, and he actually predicted SK would win the match against Vitality, believe it or not, because he said he just thought the bot lane was stronger. And quite frankly, that has been this, one of the stories of the entire split has been Exekick. Because the, there's two angles to this. One, he wasn't even the one super hyped coming out of ERLs. That was probably that fucking Jack Spectra guy, if anything, like K-Corp and all those other teams. Like, this guy wasn't hyped to the heavens. But, mate, what a rookie performance. Like, beyond, like, what, maybe, like, the first week of the whole LEC, just be good the whole fucking way. It's like, just far away <laughs> one of the best players at his position in the whole league. He's just yeah, legit. I, on Power Spike, we talked about leading MVP candidates uh, for each oh, of the leagues. have to be up there, of course, yeah. Yeah, Dom said he's the lead, He's Dom's leading MVP candidate. I said mine's Mickey X, but Dom said, Dom said he thinks because... He, he does the actual most valuable player, not like best player, uh, meaning that if you take Exekick out of X SK, like what kind of performance do they yeah, have? Yeah, it's a win over replacement model, yeah. Yeah, yeah, win over replacement. Um, and I think that's a really fair argument to be made for him. I think he has performed extremely well, and it's difficult to do that as a rookie, and it's difficult to do that um, in a meta that requires you to carry the game. You know, you, there's no weak side teleport Ezreal garbage that you can get away with here or Tristana, you know, pushing the weak side of like fast pushing the weak side of the map. Like we saw with Danny in the early days of his career and how EG kind of hit him uh, to prevent him from having to be in necessarily high stress situations or allow his decision-making when he was a rookie player to be easier. Uh, it is very much about playing through bot lane. If you're playing the game at as the best teams in the world play it and to the most advantage during this meta, and they have succeeded in doing that. And on the other side of the same game, like we just touched a little bit on the Vitality bot lane, but I would say specifically, look, Neon's definitely having a bad split, and he certainly doesn't even win some of the matchups that should be decent, right? But, mate, it has to be the Kaiser topic. Because the problem right now is this. It'd be one thing, Monty, if this was just an LCK story. Like, where the, what the fuck? You're playing Alistair, but over in the LCK, they play all these ADCs. They play all these fucking crazy AP champions, all the different enchanters. Like, it's worse than that. Dude, they can't even in this team. They get shown up by the Koi bot lane. 
saying? Like, Trimpy and Kompnik, this they can play all the shit. The Lucian Nami, the K. I like what this Kaiser literally right now, just a champion pool loans an insane liability. Like, what are you drafting around? You draft around Leona. That can't be our go to for fuck's sake. In a playoff series, well, I mean, it's not a playoff series yet, but you know what I mean? Like, in a series, we're not going to win if you only have like two champions. I, I think you just see a, there's a, there's an irreconcilable an irreconcilable difference in the spot lane. Like the, uh, there is no uh, apparently what they what they did in this playoffs was it was just it just stunk of desperation, Thorin. It just stunk of desperation. Nothing else makes sense about these winter groups run for vitality because they come into this next week of play and they decide, well, we're going to play neon champs in the bot lane. Yep such as Zeri. This is something he did very well on uh, in summer of last, last year. year. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's great. Uh, and then, but also we can't actually play picks that are appropriate for this champion. Like we're not going to play the Lulu in game number two, for example, which would be kind of a very safe standard lane at the present time. No, we have to get Kaiser on an engaged support because that's what he's comfortable with. However, Zeri Leona is uh, kind of a nothing lane and it will require the Leona to go out and make plays on the map. Now I will say to Vitality's credit in game one, they were successful in doing that to a degree with Alistair. They did actually Kaiser was roaming. He was making plays. And remember Vitality had a almost 10,000 gold bleed in that game that they proceeded to throw uh, over an extended period of time. And I don't know. I said this on Power Spike, but I don't know how you can take that situation, especially if you are Perks, right? You are a, or Kaiser. You're a super veteran player. You look at that game and you say, well, shit, we made some mistakes. We had a massive gold lead. We actually ended the game with a gold lead. Why don't we just run it back and see if we can see if we can do it again and just not throw the game this time? Instead, they complete. It looks like they completely tilt off the face of the planet, and they pick Karthus Jungle, which is definitely not optimal right now. And it just feels like every time Vitality goes down, they immediately switch to some in like when they had against Koi, when they just switched it up immediately to the Nidalee for Bo, and then the bot lane immediately died, so Bo had to run all the way across the map. They were on red side, he did red buff, had to run literally all the way across the map to do damage control, and of course, Malrong's just waiting there and kills them, and then the game is over. And so, it was the bot lane's fault, but it just feels like Vitality's like, fuck, you know, fuck, we, we Bo has to get, like, we have to do something on the top side here. Something desperate has to happen, but it just is very weird when you are so far ahead in the first game of a best of three that you would immediately be like, yes, Karthus is the answer to this problem. Like we can't run it back, even though we were doing well for the vast majority of this game and we had meaningful leagues leads. No, now is the time. It's Karthus time. It's Nidalee time, whatever it is. Um, just very strange. For, I mean, this team is just broken. Like that, this is an indication of a team being broken. They are trying to play an unorthodox uh, non-meta style of League of Legends based around who they think can carry the game and individual player strengths but it doesn't work it just doesn't work 
I mean, actually, a point that Dom made on the last Best Damn League show, which you can obviously find on the channel here on YouTube if you're watching now. The next one's tomorrow on Wednesday after the LPL match, right? And it's got a guest. Spoiler, I won't tell you who, right? One point Dom made on the last Best Damn League show that I thought was a very shrewd one, I want to run by you, actually, is it's kind of in line with what you're saying here about the fact that you can tell Vitality is sort of desperate and they're trying anything now, which is the joke of when you have a bot lane, have that many problems, Monty, especially when they just can't even play a champion. It's not even like they're just playing badly. They just can't even get stuff into the server is it's then going to warp how the top side of the map players like this isn't the 1v9 top lane meta so unfortunately like you can't just tell photon born fucking perks just keep playing the way you're playing and just ignore the bot lane if anything it looks like now the the bot lane fucking drags them down at, like literally on the map like with the jungle like you talk about you have to go bot all the time like your pathing's going to change even what the how you fucking play to the solos is going to change like unfortunately at the moment the option isn't just ignore bot you can't really do that and they've just been unable to do it like they can't just play safe it seems like so it seems like it's just it's actually ruined it's to me it's ruined every element of the team because if you think about it right now that you're not going to see them in the actual playoff portion we have to wait until the next mini split to see vitality play what a terrible last game to go out as your final memory people are going to think this team sucked like some of the players on the top side of the map were very good to start out that first part of this tournament I mean, Photon has been good the entire time. I, I think Photon, this team has changed expectations because we thought the bot lane would be good. It looked good on paper. They just never gelled. So I do think it's necessary to change some aspect of this bot lane. Now, given what we know about upcoming patches and Riot game direction, it doesn't make a lot of sense to change Kaiser, I think as we discussed earlier with Riot kind of trending towards more melee uh, supports, but maybe you you actually bring in a different player or you start just trying new duos in the bot lane, like mixing it up, seeing who works together. I'm sure they're going to do a lot of, um, you know, practice with different support or AD carry players within that bot lane and try, you know, different combinations moving forward. Um, I don't think you need to do anything with the top side. Photon has been one of the, biggest most pleasant surprises of this lec split he's absolutely carried some games he's everything you want in terms of a, a top lane player in spite of being relatively young he's been showing aggressive like oh, game winning plays teleports late like by the way he'd be one of my mvp five. candidates for sure he's easily absolutely. in the mix Yes. Yeah. Oh, I think he absolutely is. I mean, his overperformance is crazy um, because it's not just that he's doing well in laning phase like he might as a rookie player who is showing potential. It's that his map awareness and his macro plays and his his willingness to be a an aggressive playmaker is admirable. And like you don't get rid of that. So you obviously can't get rid of perks and perks hasn't had. I think he's, his split started better than it ended, but there were a lot of extenuating factors that we need to see what happens with a bot lane that isn't just causing massive deficits or drawing enormous attention from Bo or forcing Bo to play carries in order to make up for the bot lane's shortcomings. And there are, you know, whether they whether they go with an ERL player or whether they try and get maybe upset who's just sitting around doing nothing right now. Uh, Vitality certainly has money. They haven't been afraid to spend in the last few years. And I think they will do anything to try and fix this roster. But I think there's also a, a, a broader point here, which is that I think you have to have a conversation about whether the perks magic has worn off. And I think I think it's kind of time for that because in LCS, we we saw the perks magic, you know, in the spring finals against Team Liquid. 
He pulled out that Zoe game and actually turned around that entire series and won it. Now, is that the most impressive win ever against a team liquid with a substitute jungler? No, like it was, it was not a great final, but he also, you know, got them to worlds and performed well at worlds. Here's the like, Monty. Here's the angle that you take. If you're a perks fan, the problem Monty is we're not actually in playoffs. So this is best of threes. His power spikes activate in game four. So <laughs> not his fault. There is no game four, is there? So there you go. I've solved it for you. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just saying like, there has to be, there has to be a conversation about, um, about perks and what his status is. Like it, I asked Dom this and like Dom, Dom thinks it's caps. I said, is perks or caps the Western goat at this point in time? We haven't revisited that conversation in a bit, but I think it's caps. Now I think if you look at caps, performances, you look at caps, teams. It's hard to say it's perks because perks has now been in vitality for over a year. Last year's team was a complete fucking disaster. This year's team started well. And I don't think it's perks fault that this bot lane is this bad, but he also hasn't stepped up to cover that gap in a way that he has previously. Here's the thing. It could go back and forth. This isn't the time for it. But all I'll say is I could immediately count with a couple of angles that might refresh people's memory. So I'll give you an example. Remember that time, the first time that Caps went to World's Finals? Remember with Fnatic? Go watch that run. It ain't Caps that does it, mate. I'm not joking. It's it's Reckless is the main carry, and then Whipple has those weird champions that he had the victor and stuff top lane. Like, Caps wasn't even that good in that run. Then also, I'll throw this out there. Last year, when there was no perks... Caps is a good player at nationally. He wasn't fucking popping off. In fact, even in regular splits, he was just being chilling. So I just, I don't think it's, I think it's still a, a mad interesting cover. It's a 1A, 1B for me. Just depends how you divide up history. Because the difference is, Caps largely is just going off raw, like eye test of look at these great performances. Perks clearly does bring the magic, like you say. He brings an extra factor that you don't get from Caps, in my opinion. I think it, Perks, by the way, is the only player I've ever seen in history who was a Western laner who had like some magical extra insane factor that just makes him win games. Like normally that's yep. like a support or a jungler or something, you know, who has that. Like he, that's the, in fact, that's the thing I'll say the biggest thing for Perks' career, the biggest upside is he seems like the guy who did absorb from all the great junglers and supports he played with loads of like understanding of the game like Trake and Mithy you know and so by the end there's a reason his teams always have that like factor where it's like if there's still some breathing room you know he's got a chance you know he's got a chance to do the one big player that wins the game you know I mean I'm just disappointed because yeah that's that's a perk perks just has the intangibles that's what I'm talking about the perks magic right you know caps Caps definitely has a higher individual. It's ceiling. easy to tell what Caps is on his game. You just yeah. see it in the raw, like, <laughs> killing people, eye tests, of course. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, like, Perks is just so clutch. And yeah. Perks has been able to help assemble rosters and really get the most out of his teammates and be a shot caller. Um, a very one of the most, I would say, one of the most creative shot callers in the history of League of For Legends. Sure. Um, he's like the better version of High in many ways. Uh, certainly the more versatile version of high and, and swapping roles and continuing to fill all of these, all of these duties that he has within any given team. And I, I'm just saying like, it's disappointing because we want this vitality. Like this year should be about vitality versus G2. This should be the perks versus caps, just mud wrestling match for the greatest Western player of all time. That is by far the best narrative and most. That's fun also what sucks about no vitality in the playoffs. Like, come on, bro. We have double on them this time. You could have played them twice. You could have had two of these motherfuckers. What the hell? <laughs> 
So I don't know. Look, maybe Perks will go back to 80 carry and they'll get a mid. Who the fuck knows what's going to happen? Honestly, who the fuck knows? Also, um, imagine being LEC, right? At the beginning of the split, you're like, oh, banger. Like, think about it. We can have anything. We can have like that new XL team could cause a bunch of problems, make the playoffs. We can, Obviously, Reckless is there, so he'll be there. You'll have Perks. Yeah, he'll be in the... Just brilliant. We got all the names back. And now it's like, welcome, SK Gaming, Mad Lions, Kai to the playoffs. Like, because by the way if we swap to the coin topic a little bit because let's talk about that match like we'll talk about the group B stuff that match was a banger even though it ended up as a G2 win spoiler in game 4 they were right in that game like that's a game by the way where so desperately I wish we had game 5 of that because it was also (laughs) getting really interested in the draft like that was the game game 4 where Trimby tried the Callista and for a while there was times moments in the game it looked really good and obviously he he did his usual draft magic his champion pool was just OP for the West boys just is (laughs) so I think it was a great series and also on the coy side, like me, I told I did it's this is why it's perfect timing. You know, last week I saw like our producer did a clip of it. Last week I did that thing where I waxed lyrical about how underrated the coy players are. They just are like mate, people act like they just like fluke win all those games in the past splits. Like they just got some really strong individual players on this team. Their problem always is you have to obviously align around Malrank style and get that going, and they had to figure out how to sort like they haven't still really got anything out of him, but they sort of they seem almost like they've they've covered Shigenda. Like he just doesn't, he's just not a Non, he's just not a liability in the games that they do well in. Like the team actually is flowing now, man. It looks pretty good. Like they are just, well, well, I think they were already better than Vitality before they got limited. They're probably the second best team now. I, I think, yeah. I think the funny thing though is that uh, in this series and in the best of Koi's success, a lot of it has been Shigenda on tanks in the top side playing weak side. <laughs> Where it's like, you know. The thesis was, let's get rid of Odo Abne so that we have more versatility to play carry top laners with Shigenda. But the reality is he played three games of Gnar and a game of Cassante within this best of five and mostly, you know, was playing weak side, really. Like, so and by the way, I've got to say, Monty, he doesn't look like he's a comfortable player doing that. Because like, if you go and watch like that game four, for example, he's just not in position a lot of the times to actually come in and tank the fight and do like it doesn't. You can tell that he is supposed to be a carry player, mate. It just doesn't seem like he has the mindset for how you're supposed to like join those fights. Be like the joke was he would run away, bro. You can't run away as the now. Like, oh, what's my ADC doing? He's just getting jumped on. Like, so that shit drives me crazy because you know what I hate, right? Is people act like because it's in theory it means your team means you're weaker that you're the weak side player monty they act like weak side players are fundamentally bad at the game really <laughs> like people i got to on there are really good at weak side really good yeah like they're always where they need to be they're always the one who by the way takes the dick if you have to and t- takes the fucking shit end of the stick and l- dies so that someone can get out who's a more important carry etc it's games like these that you realize those players are just mad valuable if you can have them yeah no i mean i think I, I, I think like Shigenda did have a pretty good series overall. I'm just pointing out that I don't see a, a substantive difference at the current point in time between Koi's success with Shigenda and their success, rogue success with Odo Omne last year. Like if if the, if this is how Shigenda's gonna play, maybe he's a better personality fit for the team. Maybe he will offer more dimension, but they've looked more comfortable when they've gone back to the style that propelled them to success for the last couple of years is the point I'm making. Uh, on the side of G2, I think this series was deceptive, Thorin. I actually think it was quite one-sided. Uh, I think that they read Malrung's tendencies super well. One thing that G2 has been 
really great at this entire year has been set plays at the start of the game in order to get advantages with weird team compositions. And we saw that in game two and the way that they use the Sejuani mid and the Belveth to really just torture Malrung in his own jungle right at the start of the game. They had Broken Blade invading as well, so they kind of boxed him in and then were able to push him out super early on, take a huge CS lead in the jungle. And the thing is, Malrung... Malrung, in all of his unpredictability, at times can be very predictable. And by that, I mean, when Malrung's behind... That guy's not going to farm. Oh, he's going to have to go for something, of course. Yeah, He's exactly. not farming his way back into relevance. He's not that guy. He's not that guy who's going to be like, okay, well, uh, shit, I lost a bunch of my camps. So instead, I'm going to pass cross map and try and like invade their jungle and take some of these camps instead. Or I'm going to, you know, pass, I'm going to recall and pass to the bottom side and like try and take some of these camps. No, that motherfucker is going to sit in a bush for like two minutes and just wait to see if he can get a kill on the lane because that's just how his mind works. He's like, okay, I'm sacrificing here so that I can get somebody else ahead, right? I'm not going to try and catch back up and still be behind. I'm going to try and like hit that home run in a lane, which is going to get one of my lanes ahead, which will then change this game state. And G2 just read him super well. They just read him super well. So, I mean, credit to them. I think that that game two draft and that game two level one was extremely smart. And then they continued with that game plan. I think Dylan Falco is probably one of the best coaches in League of Legends right now. Oh, he's not good. He, he has set up his players for success. And they're very successful about using weird picks. I, I think the Sejuani mid in this case was really good because of the way Caps played it. He played it like Doenby used to play shit. And like, I am a known Doenby hater from the 2019 FPX that won Worlds, but there is a truth to mid-Nautilus hitting six early and then running into a side lane and tower diving you. And guess what? Sejuani hits six earlier. You know, it disrupts the entire game plan when a Sejuani shows up in bot side at level six while your AD carry is still level four. You know, I also think, you know, by the way, it will always be a natural, like, initial advantage when something isn't meta, when it's a champion that is in a, a role that means it will be stronger than it would if it was a jungler or a support. Because in your brain, like, you remember back in the day, if people don't know, when people could play champions like Zyra mid lane, the Zyra mid lane is a very different one to a fucking support. Like, that ult just ends the whole team. So, like, when you have those examples, it's like your brain's not primed. When you see the fucking, you just think, oh, it's the shitty jungle one isn't it but it's not that's the motherfucker from mid lane that's gonna hit when it comes in mate it's gonna hit right and it's, it's gonna be two three levels above yes. you it's gonna and be a nightmare you, you know you you have you, if you've been playing this meta for a while you have a certain timing in your brain you see the sejuani in the game you're like okay well i'll probably be six by the time sejuani is six or or close to it right and so the dive is not less of a it's less of a an issue or you might think to yourself well i know uh, what this Sejuani's runes and summoners are generally going to be. No, this was an unsealed spellbook Sejuani. God knows what summoner spells exactly. she's going into fucking bot lane with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's it becomes very confusing. And also, it opens up this Belveth pick, right? Because it applied pressure early. They got the advantages. Yike was up massively in terms of farm and controlling objectives. It makes it so you, you know, you have a Sejuani ult right at eight minutes, guaranteed, basically. Um, you know, normally you also have a jungle ult at eight minutes into the game, but not always so that you can actually just go after the Herald on spawn if you want to. 
Um, you're you're playing around an aggressive top side as well with the with the Olaf. So you have a lot of pressure, and Caps is willing just to sacrifice to roam around the map. I mean, it's it's not perfectly meta, obviously, but the way they played it, it's not just that they threw out these champions, it's that there is an entire early game plan that goes around these champions. There is a way to activate this composition at level one that then persists, makes the game state weird, makes it very difficult for Koi to read what's going on. They don't have experience reacting to this kind of shit. And that's like the power of G2 and the power of caps. It's like, is this act going to be mid? I don't fucking know, but it's good. Like the thing is, it's good. And it's, it's especially good when caps does these things, right? This is the team to do it. They, they know the plan. They have the team compositions goals in their mind. They know how to get an edge on you at the very start of the game. And that's just demoralizing. And they just completely thrashed Koi in that game. And if we go to the third game of the series, they're up 2-0. They play a little cavalierly, right? They die in, in mid lane in the very early stages of this game. And yes, Koi does a good job of snowballing that advantage. But they did make some really sloppy plays right off the start to give an edge to Koi. And then we fast forward to the fourth game of this series, and it was close. But the problem is, people will look at this game and talk about, oh, yes, it was very close. I see very few ways for Koi to, to win this game in the late game. Oh, mate, at the end, let's be real. It was actually mad that it was so close because they were at a point at one point in time where you just have to pick one G2 player, kill that player, and the other one will kill you. Like, the, the, you, can't, you can't target almost anyone at that point in those fights if you look at them. Think yeah, about everyone. I mean, you have the spell, the shield, you have fucking everything. Yeah, exactly. There's you can do. And like, even if you kill one of them, you just get killed by the other carry, right? I mean, it feels it feels super bad. So you're Malrong playing Vi, right? Okay, so who who do I ult? Sivir with spell shield? If you notice, all they did generally was just try to target the fucking Maokai because yep. the Olaf's yep. invincible. Caps yep. is like semi-fed. Sivir's unkillable. Like, you, you, you <laughs> can't even get to that. You, you, there's spell shield on Sivir. You have karma shields. Yeah. Uh, apparently I didn't know this, but caps caps was showing how you can buffer Tristana jump yep. out of vial. Yep. Didn't even know you could do that. And not only that, but he did it like several times. So he, and by the way, he was actually the only reason this game got extended a couple of times. He just got caught in like hundred to zero. That's it. If yeah. that didn't happen, like they, they, <laughs> the joke is they couldn't even fight their own base. If that didn't happen, they had to perfectly catch someone and just kill them completely. Yeah. You can't vial Olaf during Olaf olds. So yeah, you have a Maokai who, later in the game had his own use hourglass. Well, you can't, now you can't ult him either. Yep. So what the fuck do you do? And they had Mikhail's. They had Mikhail's later in the game too. So it, it becomes very, very difficult to lock somebody down. And then also, uh, how do you survive a super fed Olaf when you're playing Varus? Like that Varus, yeah, you have- There's Kalisco nothing you can ult. do. You just get- You, you just have get ult to save yeah. him, but you can't peel him in any way. You can't peel him yep. and the, the AD carry can't really peel themselves. And if there's no Callista ult, well, first off, if Callista ults, he just runs at Callista. He can chase Callista down by using Undertow. So it just feels, it felt really doomed. Anytime in a team fight time. that they all, the, the Olaf pressed start, it was over Monty. Because as you yeah. say, there's nothing he could do. Like all that would happen is you could just see it go, like the light go off in comp's eyes, like shit. And then he just get run down <laughs> and killed, of course. There's nothing he could do. Um, I think, you know, Koi's composition is a very good pick composition for the mid game. Sure. Yeah. But once once G2 powers on in the late game and like you get to 30 minutes and you're just fighting 5v5s for objectives, it becomes really, really hard to win.
Um, and they they just didn't do enough in the early game. So yeah, this game did almost go to 40 minutes because there were some mistakes that were made. But I think realistically, the uphill battle was so, so fucking difficult for Koi. And at that point in the game, the, the draft had really just taken over and G2 was in a very, 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 very comfortable spot to win. Plus they had, you know, Maokai just gets better and better, better and better. The, the later the game goes on, he is extremely good at the current point in time, he is a he is broken at basically every level, but he's particularly broken at the professional level of the game. And you can see why. I mean, he just offers so much more than the Vi in the late stages of the game. One thing I did want to ask you, right? Obviously, we this isn't like fucking face check. We don't really do this, Monty, but I've actually got a clip here, right? And if you can just go to this clip and go to like 10 seconds on the timer in and just listen. You remember this segment where they had this crazy fight in game four and it's where Comp was going to get hit by that sapling, which obviously is super powerful. And so Trimby does like the fucking ult or whatever to save him, right? I want you to listen. And here's what I need you to answer. Is Medic actually trying to like joke and satirically say this is like, the greatest mechanical player, or is he serious? Because I can't tell by his voice. I want you to just listen. You only need to listen to that little, little, like three seconds. I'll listen to it. Hold on. So it's a fight at 32 minutes into this game. Come on, it's like three seconds long. You scored 10 seconds yeah. in the clip. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening. That's funny. Because here's mean, the thing, you know what I mean? The way he says it, dude, I can't, it, he just says it like straight up. Because the problem is this, let's be real. If he actually thinks that's the craziest mechanical outplay, no. he's never fucking watched any Asian league and that's mad. No, but, no, no, no. Or is he actually intentionally being sarcastic? Is it supposed he's to be a silly sarcastic. joke, right? Because yeah, he, 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 he didn't really deliver it with like, I almost expect more of like a wink and a nudge, if you know what I mean, if you're doing that. Sure, I think it's, I think it's just sarcastic. Or maybe the other casters just didn't pick up the joke. Because I was thinking like, that has to be a joke, surely. There's no way you really believe that. Come on. Yeah, no, 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 no. I think I think it's a joke because the I mean, this is why Maokai is powerful, right? Like it's just stupid. It's just stupid that the amount of damage you can do with these saplings and brushes. Um, because they do an additional two ticks of damage and like yes. stick to you if they've been placed in a brush. And I showed this in our top five on on the Last Free Nation YouTube channel last week, where my number one clip was like Tarzan just throwing saplings everywhere with a night harvester first strike Maokai, which does even more damage than the build that we're looking at here. Um, but demonic embrace, and you know, if you decide to build Leandries, they just win fights because these are unclearable. Uh, sources of vision that you have to walk into. And when you Maokaiol, you just hit their entire team with with the damage over time. Like they're it's it's incredibly powerful. Like this guy, this this champion is just incredibly powerful. He can even shred tanks. Like his Q does percent HP damage, plus he's doing percent HP damage to you on the burn from the items. So it's really, really difficult to deal with Maokai. The later the game goes, the, the shorter cooldown his ult has, the more damage these saplings are doing because his objective control is just the best. It's just the best of any champion in the game. And, and he's by the way, if if you're just some peon fan, like, it's an obvious joke, like, miss me, you fool. You are literally the cretins who en masse have tried to ruin me and Monty's lives for what were obvious fucking lighthearted jokes for 10 years. <laughs> That's who you are, homie. That's a mirror being held up to you. Shut the fuck up. <laughs>
Shut the actual fuck up. If you got a joke once, I can see why you're proud. Because to you, that's like a fucking rap. Go tell your mum. Maybe she'll fucking write the joke and put it on the fridge. You can't. Anyway, whatever. Whatever. It's all good. It's all my system now. Now I'm back to sunny days and clear skies. It's all good. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think that this game, what it it went on for a long time, but it was not really a winnable game for Koi. I mean, the first couple games of the series, I don't think were really winnable games thing. for Koi. Game one, think, they were they did fuck up like a bottle and fucking advantage there, bit like that looked like they could have yeah. gone to it, but they just fucked it up so early it didn't matter. It didn't matter that right. Uh, so I actually think this series was pretty one-sided. I think the one game that Koi won was G2 being overconfident in a mid-lane skirmish. And, you know, Koi's a good team. You can't give good teams big advantages in the early game and necessarily expect to be able to come back, right? And that didn't happen. But every other game of this series, even that last one, which was very fun, I just think that last game was deceptive because people think it was closer than it was. I don't think it was closer. Well, the good news is we could potentially see them run it back in the final. And then secondly, I also think the more interesting thing is whoever Koi players out of Mad Lions and SK, they're going to have to deal with that fucking Trimby champion pool too, mate. Like the, the draft options for Koi are enormous in bottling. Yeah, obviously they're capped at top lane, but they, they, like they've shown, by the way, like if look at the drafts they've done now, what even would game five draft have been, mate? Who the fuck knows? Like, they clearly have a super right. deep bag. And he can base oh, yeah. so many things because of what he's playing at support. You can just do like a million drafts. It's very impressive. And it does feel like, you know, the the way they approach these games is also tailored to play style. I really believe that that game too was because they were playing Malrang and they knew right. he was going to take the Elise and they, they had a trap set for him and they knew how he was going to behave if he got caught in the trap. Um he did have, I mean, Malrog had a great game three. He really ran with the advantage that he had. I mean, he's a good jungler, but he he does have tendencies. And if you can play into those, uh, you can you can acquire pretty significant advantages. I, I don't really think we we learned much from the Mad Lions Astralis series on the whole, unfortunately. It was just it was just very one side. I think where that one is, that one wasn't that interesting. It's obviously no. the BDS Astralis one was the banger. Because that one is like it's so sad for BDS because if you remember the way storylines work, Monty, people only remember the game you get eliminated on and they only remember where you're finishing the split. So people now will look at this split, Monty, and they'll go, wow, BDS fluked their way into groups, but they weren't that good overall because they lost to a strike. Like, look, if you look at the last series, yeah, it sucked. But like, even in this series, they had chances to win. If it wasn't for the shit with Adam and the fucking draft seemed to fall apart. Also, there's some hero players from the bot lane of Strauss. Like, There's a world where they at least would have been like third in their group and then on top of that like this team actually played very well over the split like I don't I still yep. don't think some of the players are that good Monty so I have to give like props to coaching staff so generally BDS was good they were better they were way better than this place in looks in my opinion yeah no I, I agree I mean I expected them to win this series credit to Astralis though too I mean oh, they, they it, have yeah. massively overperformed expectations like Kabe has been extremely good uh, it's He's nice to it, see mate, isn't he? It's nice to see Kabe kind of return to the the splice form that we knew him before his ill-fated run through TSM and then kind of getting stuck on bottom tier teams after he returned to Europe. He's looking like really legit. And in fact, I mean, I think that the the ADC position is very stacked in Europe overall right now. Like 
it's another reason why I think Vitality's bot lane is looking so bad is that the competition is very stiff. Even the the bad teams have solid or like are strongest at the AD carry position. Like Astralis's yes. best player right now is Kabe. So that can be hard because you can still, with the meta the way it is, you can snowball through that lane and win even if you have worse players in other parts of the map. Um, and BDS, I think, I think Dom said it well, where <laughs> he said BDS always has like one massive catastrophe a game and they just have to shore up their macro because they're, they do look very good at times. And especially like that bot lane has been impressive. I've, I've never really liked LeBrov as a player, but I think he's doing oh, much better now. Split? Yeah, I think he sure. was overhyped for me at least. And crown shot is a player that I always thought deserved another chance and even nuke and even nuke and adam feel like they've grown a lot over the past couple of years and so it's it's a pleasant surprise i think they definitely overperformed expectations but they have to get some of their weird shot calling under control if they want to make a deeper run in the future here's that what fucks them is one again just like the vitality example of all the last games and images to have in my mind adam you've given me the worst one bro because it was you chain inting on your <laughs> fucking signature pick so that yeah, looked bad but one thing it did do and i thought this was glorious you know how in csgo monty all those analysts even though now he looks like he's wrong love that fucking thing that richard did where you had that whole thing like what about today dickhead that was my milk because everyone <laughs> wishes like like me you could just go off on every idiot fan and not have to go not have to give a fuck what they think right well the league equivalent of that you won't have seen this because it was only the other day it was posted was where ls did the same thing what he did was everyone apparently was flaming the fuck up because you know how the french fans are monty like french fans in league because of the lfl so fucking big they're all super hardcore and they go mental if you talk bad on any french player so they were all flaming ls because he said that like in that game, it wasn't even Shio's fault in game three, and Adam just solo lost the game. So they were all flaming it. And what LS did was what every analyst dreams you do. He just did a video that's like the first 10 minutes of the game or whatever in Lane. That was good, first. I saw it. And he just, oh, you did see it. Because what yeah. he did is it's one of the most clinical, like absolute, t- like whoever said he was wrong, you are an utter fool. He essentially using science, like proved you are wrong. <laughs> even though normally I don't even think that's possible with opinions. Like he just shows you essentially you don't know anything about wave manipulation. And he's right, Adam actually consistently put his own lane in terrible <laughs> positions, making him the most gankable player and then fucked his jungler. Like if you actually watch it, it's mad because the fan, the, the fanboys have like nothing. This is a total takedown. It's very rare that you actually, cause normally if you do those videos, you're showing the weeds of what you're showing, but if you get what he's building up, it's just clinical in it. Like he's actually well, right. Ellis was also lucky the camera was top lane so much yes, of the time because we don't have replays. So sometimes it's just impossible to prove. What no, happened. there was like a point early in the game where it was like that. We didn't know why he was like out of position. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. And the other reason I found that so satisfying, Monty, is I've mentioned this many times on shows, particularly Dom's shows. The number one position I have heard so many pro players privately complain about difference between pro understanding and fan understanding is top lane because yeah, they right. tell me, bro, these fans don't know waves so they think stupid shit like I'm just bad at the matchup because my jungler like fucked up my wave in a gank you know or did the dive wrong or even worse like I actually purposely have to let myself die to get this mini wave otherwise the waves are even worse like all that shit they say the fan never picks up on that and so especially in the west where you nearly always play weak side they said the worst thing is like people are just so wrong about half the top players like they think this guy's an idiot this guy can't play that shit it's like if you actually like looked at all the factors like this is a good example of a game here like on paper remember adam is great on Olaf. this should be an awesome pick but you saw he completely mispiloted it he actually did fuck the whole game up unfortunately yeah 
Um, and those little edges do make a big difference. Like, especially in melee versus melee matchups in top lane, recovering can just be absolutely horrible. It it becomes really hard once you fall behind to get yourself back into the game. So then you need a bunch of help, which means the enemy jungler can or in mid laner can go do other things, or you just kind of have to t hold the L while your teammates try and buttress up another side of the map and make it work for you and then try and make yourself relevant in in the late game but yeah top is really hard because it is a especially right now because it's not a it's not most teams are not focusing in the top lane they're focusing through the bot lane and they're playing around bot lane pressure which means that they need to cover their bot lane consistently with the jungler or they're peeling off their bot lane to go do drakes and that means you're just not going to get a lot of help in the top side if things start to go south on you. So you do have to be really careful with with how you're playing into your matchup. Um, and unlike mid lane, you know, which all, obviously always has more access of the jungler due to it's in the middle of the map. So your jungler is basically always closer to you than they are to top lane. Uh, with very few exceptions. It's also a shorter lane in mid lane, so your your fuck-ups aren't punished quite as hard or you can reverse them quicker. But um, And in bot lane, you just have more people there to help out in that situation. And again, the jungle is just going to be down there more in the current meta. So it it is very, very difficult. Uh, I mean, See what I mean, though? It does suck, though, because if you're Adam, that game makes you look like you were shit. You actually had a very good bounce-back split. This actually redeemed a lot of the quality that people had of, like, should he even be an LEC player? Yeah, it definitely looks like an LEC player. Sure, the meta is still oh, brilliant he's much better him, now. But no, this like, don't let that game... Cloud your mind. He definitely had some good games this split. Fair play. Oh yeah. Him. Oh yeah. I think he was. I think he was really good uh, for most of the time. And it seems like not only has the meta swung in his direction with his champion pool, but his team is enabling him to have these picks and be effective on them. And he did have some very good games. So I, I'm not. I've been overall impressed with his development, and I think he's a at least a very fun player to watch, an interesting player to watch, and he's a he's a unique player to watch within the LEC. Sure. Right, just quickly, who do you think wins out of SK and Mad? Who do you have winning that one? I honestly, I I find this this match very difficult to predict. Um, because on the one hand, I've seen some really like truly int plays from Mad Lions, but they didn't have that same issue this last week. Uh, and SK just. They shouldn't have won game one of that series versus Vitality. I think they were very lucky to have won that. And then Vitality just completely mental boomed for game number two. That's why I find it very hard to have a read on SK at the current point in time. Uh, I guess I'd probably take Mad Lions just based on the most recent performances and the fact that SK kind of got a, a freebie or got, got a lucky win, I feel, against Vitality. So, and Mad Lions did look better this week than they did last week when they uh, were making some super questionable decisions about how to play out, uh, you know, some of the games that we, we saw against G2. Like, they looked pretty not good against G2. <laughs> but G2 just seemed like an overwhelming favorite at this point in time. I don't feel like they've actually been challenged, really, within this playoff bracket, hardly at all. 
Oh, that's why. But like, spoiler, I'm taking Mad Lions to win this one. First of all, they have the only experience on their side. I have to still see, does Exekick turn up and play great? That's like the main win yep. condition for SK. I can't know that. Also, just Niski looks like it's another team that like, works great around him. El Yoyan's still one of the best youngers in the world. The Chasey guy's a coin flip, but when it fucking hit, goes heads, he can win you the game. So I just think Mad Lions just has it across the board. Coaching staff's great. Like That's why the real issue for me is this, Monty. If Mad Lions beats this team and goes and plays Koi, and by the way, Koi beat SK anyway, and Koi just beats them convincingly, it's just going to make the final a bit of a bother because it's going to have to be like a more revved up version of the upper bracket final. So we'll see. We'll see how that one. Koi could suck yeah. the whole narrative out of this motherfucker. We'll see. Uh, yeah. I, unfortunately, like I just feel that G2 has too many tools and is too on point in this meta right now to really be derailed. Like Koi is definitely getting better and they've shown that a lot of improvement over the course of this split, but they just don't have the versatility of G2. That said, G2 has been shown at times they can choke. So it's not like they had a great, they, they didn't have the best regular split by G2 standards, but it just feels like they've kicked into the next gear for the playoffs. They have another week to work on weird picks. They're only going to be playing one best of five. So they can just get to sit there on Friday and Saturday, watching the other teams awaiting their opponent on Sunday. I think they'll be very ready. Right, let's talk a little bit about the LPL then, Monty. We hinted at it last week, but what's hilarious is it actually looked at one point last week like I'd done the all-time great fucking one. You know where I was like, you know what, Monty? Ching Dong Gaming is winning worlds. <laughs> if people don't know, they then immediately just gave up the next two series. And the yep. second one, they even looked semi wacking and you were like, what the hell? But luckily, <laughs> before this show even began, they're already bounced back, basically. They're already, like, the key thing is this week's one of the big games for them, but they they still do look really good. It's just that was, like, the one week where they fucking hit it, looked shit, and just happened that way, I'm afraid. Yeah, I haven't, um, so... I haven't seen the latest like top esports versus EDG series. And um, I did watch the JDG versus EDG series. Let me pull up the scoreboards to refresh my memory real quick. Um, but yeah, I, I, this team, this team did struggle when, when we saw them versus uh, what was it? Uh, Weibo when they lost that series, but yep. that was ruler kind of having his first, I would say bad game that we had, we've actually seen from him. Um, but let me pull up the IG. Hold on. Uh, so when they, when they ended up playing EDG as well. Oh yeah. This series. Yeah. Kanavi really was terrible. Um, JJ convincingly out jungled. This him. was like world's level JJ. Remember when he was the MVP <laughs> of like the final, yeah. he was really good in this one. It was, yeah. it was super good in the series. Kanavi was making a bunch of like strange decisions about, um, where to be on the map. But he, JJ was also playing mind games with him and like getting him killed on invades. And so I, I think it was partially JJ being very creative on the fly and Kanavi being a little bit cocky about where he could be on the map at any given time. Um, this is still on 13.1. So the if you guys are looking at this, like the Yumi pick isn't weird at this point in time. So yeah, I think that the, there was a very solid series from EDG and EDG is probably one of the best teams in the world right now. You would have thought that after swapping out uh, Viper and Scout that they probably would have lost a lot of power, but they seem to, you know, Fofo and Leave have stepped up, especially Fofo, and they look like a one of the best coordinated teams and one of the best macro teams within the LPL right now. So I've been really, really impressed with them. That said, I mean, JDG... I mean, they can take turns just 
with one player from one series running it down. By the time this team hits playoffs, I think they will all be super. The good. key thing uh, is the games they have where it all comes together, they look really scary. They look insane. Yeah. They look insane. That's why I told you on the last one. That's why I picked this as the moment to just go all in. I was I always liked Knight the player, but I was always mad nervous about the team. This team does feel like I, I'll take the the lows because the highs just look fucking sick. Like it, it just looks oh, so yeah. good. You have to even imagine the way that they're winning feels so fucking good if you're a pro as well. Because it's it's kind of like Gen G last year. You just feel like when it all comes together, no one could beat us. It's like just up to us if we win the game or not. Yep. Yeah, and they, they immediately bounced back, by the way, and Ruler had a super dominant performance versus IG. Uh, I think IG is a team that is, you know, obviously more limited. Like, you know what they're going to do. They're going to play through topside. They tried to put You Should Know Me on Scion in the second game of the series, and that just proved to be a mistake because their bot lane got completely crushed, uh, and then they basically had no win condition. Um, so IG is good, but they're probably, like, lower tier playoffs good because their play style is can you know continues to be somewhat predictable um and that that'll be good enough like they have good enough players that that'll be able to take out most bottom teams but if you hit a real juggernaut i think you will they're they're pretty easy to read um so yeah jdg at least had the bounce back you can't really you can't really ever take this team out of the equation like the the pound for pound players are just too fucking strong That's a crazy roster yeah even though right now, as of this current moment, if I were to redo my power rankings, I probably would put top above JDG just based on recent results. And, you know, you can't just have bad games like Ruler and Kanavi have had, like, really bad games. And then consider yourself in the running for best team in the world. Luckily, guys, this Saturday is the game. Top Esports oh, yeah. against Jingdong. I know. <laughs> That's going to be Which, the same. by the way, everybody and it's got all the storylines. got the Jackie Love versus Ruler, fucking Knight versus Rookie. So it's going to be a fucking banger, guys. That'll be a yeah. really good series. Yeah, it's going to be really, really good. Um, that, you know, it, it's we've been graced with T1 versus Gen G this past week. Now we're getting top esports uh, coming up against uh, JDG. And there's later in the week, there's Weibo against LNG. Like, that's a pretty good one, too. Yep. Uh, LNG's a pretty good team. Weibo's the one we talked about last week with Yahoo and Shai and Kasa. So it's, there's some really stacked yep. rosters in this league, guys. Really stacked. Yeah. And uh, there's also a bunch of really good. I mean, this this last week we were spoiled with a lot of good games, but there's good games coming up in the LCK too. the, the KT gauntlet is starting. So we see KT versus T1 this week, KT versus uh, Dom one, the rematch from last week of T1 versus live sandbox, which was a very good series this last week. So we get to see that one immediately again. Also, mate, round, let, let's talk a bit about LCK because the other thing about LCK is like if you haven't been watching Live Sandbox is actually turning out to be way better than they should be. <laughs> this team's actually going to mix it up pretty interesting. I I think they are overrated. <laughs> I think they are overrated. Yeah, but, but look at the roster of players. They have nobody. The point is, like, this team's playing mad spoiler bit. Like, I, everyone who isn't T1 and Gen G, whoever loses to this team is going to fuck your whole run up. It's going to mean you get the worst playoff spot, the worst. This is the team that ruins the whole playoffs if you're not the elite teams, you know. It's the yeah. gatekeeper, as it were. But, you know, I love the narrative. So the first game of the... Because these are all, game... if people don't know, these are all the cast-offs from the other teams that were, like, considered the not <laughs> no. good players from the squads, yeah. Um, the first game they played this split, they got completely destroyed by D plus Kia, like embarrassingly owned and envy 
was massacred by Deft in the bot lane. Deft, it was a 2-0 for D-plus Kia. Deft never died in either of the games. Now they come back, start as a second round Robin. First game that they play in the second round Robin. What is that? Oh, it's a 2-0 for Live Sandbox over D-plus Kia. Guess who doesn't die? It's Envy this time who doesn't die in the 2-0. There's a really good narrative that's that's developing. And Envy as a player is one of... He's not always the best AD carry, but he is one of the most fun AD carries to watch because he's like a frontline AD carry. He just plays balls to the wall aggressive at the front of team fights. And the way his team enables him to do this by providing him with a bunch of shield champions, for example, like they had a bunch of Annie shields and Lee Sin shields on his Varus where, while he had shield bow. So he was just standing at the front of fights, just firing away into the enemy team composition um, in their match against D plus. It's just really fun to watch this team. And Willer is arguably the best jungler in the LCK right now. That'll be unpopular with owner fans, but relative to the level of his team. Or Miller anyone who knows when he was on those teams good. like two years ago and everyone flamed the fuck out of him. Like but the joke is half these people who actually were around like Deft and Chauvin that we were like, they're just a waste of space. Yeah, it took them two years, but they're actually good now. Some of them are good. <laughs> Fair yeah, play. Look, Willer, if you watch that D plus series between uh with Liv Sandbox, Willer kind of stuffed, he kind of stuffed Canyon in that series. Um, and he was, he was, he's actually just very versatile as a player. It's, it's everything you want to see, right? It's like in one game of this series, he's playing Lee Sin, which has been buffed on 13.3. So we are going to see that because when Lee Sin is viable, he's just extremely good because of his versatility and playmaking ability. Plays a great Lee Sin, plays a great Lee Sin game. Um, actually sets up kind of a, a crazy game-winning play where he kicks. There's a Tom Kench. So Kellen's playing Tom Kench and Kenyon's on Maokai. Um, tr D-plus is trying to get vision. And so Kenyon's out in front, tries to get out of a sticky situation. Kellen devours him. And then Willard kicks both of them, it, like the, the Maokai inside the Tom Kench, into his team. So sets up a really good play that basically ends up in a lift sandbox baron, if I recall correctly. Um, and in the second game of the series, Willer is playing the Maokai into Canyon's Elise, and he's just shadowing. He, he's in exactly the right spot on the map to stop Canyon's dives. He stuffs dives. Um, and so it's not only that he's playing aggressive champions, it's that his pathing is good enough that he can kind of catch the other jungler as well, predict their movements on the map, stuff their dives, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean... I think Willer's been playing great. I think he's been really quite exceptional um, and is a key part of this team's success. His Wukong is probably the best Wukong that's in LCK right now. He gets huge advantages early on with this champion that most other players just don't get. He's great. Uh, Closer's oh, been fun to watch on melee, like Yone in particular, melee um, mid laners. Here's the problem, though. If you think they're overrated, shall I refresh your memory on a convo we had a few episodes ago about how uh -oh. I told you it was panic stations for D+. Plus, and you're like, no, no, it's all right. It isn't all right, homie. Like, you'd already smashed that fucking red case and brought like, the Nagori call if you could. Like, mate, everything's going bad for this team. Like, everyone looks fucking whack in this team. This team is falling apart right now. The I joke mean, is D plus would be their actual grade based on roster expectations right now. A D plus. Because it's fucking a joke. 
I, I Showmaker has come out. He said in an interview with Ashley Kong, like that he's very demotivated, doesn't like playing the game, has no enjoyment in it anymore. I think it's hard to play under those circumstances. Um, and also, uh, like, as if you needed more salt in the wound. Guys, when fucking Birdall gets to fucking style on you and flash the damn one emote. <laughs> you know, I love when they actually are petty in Asia, though, because they just pull it. They, it's like everything they execute so well, Monty. That's what I love, because, mate, like, Birdall was the one we were all flaming. We were all saying it's all his fault. Like, Canyon and Showmaker, of course, they'd be winning this game if it wasn't for bloody Birdall and Dick Jockdam. It's like, they're not even there anymore, guys. And the team is actually just way worse than Pastam 1. Like, Pastam 1 could, you could have the games where Showmaker, you knew, was going to carry if he got the right champion. Canyon was a bit more coin flip, but even then, when he was on his game, he was one of the best still. Like, and they used to sort of know how to work around the bot lane. This team is such a mess, mate. Like, if they can turn this around and do anything, meaning, like, if they can go to MSI, then fucking the coaching staff will have killed it. Because right now they look like a joke. This team's not going to make it. The core of this team is Canyon and Showmaker. That's that's how this team is built. And the success of Dom One has always been about the synergy between Canyon and Showmaker. And if we talk about the kind of player that Showmaker is, he is a he is a canyon enabler, is what he is. And he is very good at making sure that canyon can do canyon things. Um, this has got this has even gone into mid lane jungle flex picks like Talia last year. It is about their synergy. And so, and Showmaker has also had one of the best macro senses of any mid lane player about where to be on the map, how to make plays, how to push out in Rome. His Twisted Fate has like a 90% win rate. Um, it, he's crazy good at these kind, of, uh, this, these kind of styles. And so the problem is, is that Showmaker is getting caught out and giving up objectives. But when has this happened? Like, that's not Showmaker. Showmaker is not the guy who gets caught. He, he has an insane map sense. So when this starts to fall apart, the entire identity of the team falls apart. And swapping out your AD carry, Deft is great, and Deft actually has had a pretty good season, especially at the been start bad. of it. It's not his fault at all, guys. It's not his yeah. fault at all. You know, Kana hasn't been amazing, but Kana's been serviceable. I, but this team, when, when Showmaker and Canyon are not playing in the way that they should, there is no identity to this team. There's none. Um, and I think that's the problem. And it's not that Showmaker has been playing. He's not the worst mid laner in the league. He's just not playing like Showmaker anymore. And that means that they don't have a style. And that's really difficult because the whole style was the depth and versatility of Canyon and Showmaker. That's how you win games. That's how they made two world finals. Uh, and it's just, it's just not there. But yeah, that one, like right now, that that lineup is a bust, guys. Like it's just not working. And especially bearing in mind, this isn't the weak LCK splits. Like that's there's come not only are there very good teams at the top, but as we're saying, even those other teams, KT and Live Sandbox will catch you with your pants down if you if you're fucking around in LCK right now. You have to be a really good team to consistently outmatch these squads. Like, I mean, we've talk, talked about on past episodes, but KT is the revelation of the split. Like, they deserve to be where they are, mate. They're just a good team. Yeah. And it's not the thing about KT is it's not that they're doing anything revolutionary. They're just playing good standard meta League of Legends right now. And maybe maybe that means that a meta shift is really going to hurt them in the future. Right. Because it doesn't it doesn't really feel like KT is innovating in any way. They're just playing solid 
run of the mill. And all the big names are playing well. They're like they're, a lot of them are like bouncing back with their fucking performances. It's just good. It's just a good team. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not sure they have like the surprise factor, the depth to win a title. Uh, but they do have, and they're not the most interesting team to watch a lot of the time, uh, because like they they win in a standard fashion with meta standard champions, like because it's Sejuani really good because it's been solid keen just wins game on games on jacks right bdd is probably the most interesting player in terms of champion pool on this roster because we are we always know that like bdd is mechanically insane he's one of the best he's one of the most talented mechanical mid laners that has ever existed in korea he just hasn't necessarily had the brain to go along with that a lot of the time and what has he been good at oh long range like poke it's champion, always like, the one style yes exactly yeah. but 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 you know, now he's busting out Yone and Irelia and some of these other champions that he's been very successful at um, this this split. And Aiming has returned. He was kind of bad at the start of the split, but he's returned to form slowly. So it's just a solid it's just a solid roster. Unfortunately, there's not so much interesting that you can say about KT because they are just kind of playing the standard game properly and they're playing it well. But yeah, I mean, I think you know the 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 revelation or the the rejuven the rejuvenation of Keen and BDD is a huge story because they were both trash last year. So uh, now that they're on a roster that feels more comfortable, maybe it's the coaching staff, maybe it's it's probably not the meta. It's probably just that they're not on garbage teams with problems. Um, they seem to be highly motivated again. And I think that's even part of why you have had this renaissance in LCK because luckily when we had these years where some people's games just fell off. Right, obviously those names like if your name like BDD, mate, you've been an MVP in the league like what four times. You're gonna get picked up by a squad. You're gonna get another <laughs> chance. And if you are a one-time great player like people like Keen and him are, eventually you're gonna have a bounce back split. You're still trying. Presumably you're motivated. Like, and and if you're those teams like in this case KT, you just gamble on one of those players because if they ever do have the bounce back like this, it just looks fucking awesome. Everything's looking great yep. now, and suddenly you have players that are way better than you should have had based on the well, off-seasons you've been through. <laughs> and it's also, I think it's understandable why we see potentially Showmaker being burned out. He has played more League of Legends than almost any other player in the world over the last three years because... Well, of course, think of the three finals at Worlds, everything, yeah. He was in I every mean, LCK playoff <laughs> to the, at least the semis, right? So, yeah, he's loads of matches, mate. All those MSIs. Yeah, yeah. By definition, he must be the player beyond like some. Maybe there's an LPL player that's comparable, but yeah, he's easily the (laughs) the other player that's played the most in the world. Yeah, yeah. I I think maybe it's some of the LPL players just because of their schedule and also because they're more robust playoff structures. But also, he's made deeper international runs than any other of the the LPL players. So it's probably kind of a wash. Um, And certain players can take more or less burnout than other ones, right? But I I just don't think it's surprising because the calendar of League of Legends is is, If you think about it, like you know from Korean StarCraft, there's a reason why you can't just be the best player for like four years in a row. To even be the best for two years in a row is insane in Korean StarCraft because everyone is going an 11 out of 10. So you're just going to burn out eventually. Well, and and conversely, uh, I think that the broader conversation is maybe BDD and Keen are good again because they haven't had to play that insane schedule. BDD was extremely good at Worlds in in 2021. Yep, he was extremely true. good. He was smurfing, yeah. Um, 
he he actually had a massive upswing at that tournament and was you know probably the best player on that Gen G lineup. But then you know the difference between just playing a, a couple of splits and not making playoffs because BDD and Keen were on trash teams last year, so they never really had the stress. They kind of just like played two splits, didn't really have to fuck around with playoffs, didn't have to fuck around with MSI, didn't have to fuck around with Worlds. That's actually like legitimately a four month difference in playing the game probably three or four months they well, actually it's probably more than that because you're prepping for worlds for a month in september oftentimes as well as opposed to being in the off season so it's probably four plus months that you have to yourself and it's not that you're not playing but the stress that goes along with the international schedule is crazy and so maybe keen and bdd are refreshed at this point in time and ready to make a deep run this year and and showmaker just needs a break by the way, on the topic of T1, I actually feel like we can collect so many of the narratives you built up the last year and a half for T1, and it just they just become amplified now, Monty. Because if the premise goes that right now, especially because Jing Dong slipped open top, it's only just playing the top legit teams now. On paper, you have to basically say T1's the number one team in the world. Like I know you just did your power yes. rankings, but it's just obvious if you look at all the factors you've There's considered. no other argument but right now. Beyond even the record, stylistically, they are also clearly the best team in the world because you <laughs> used to say last year but it was more that they weren't the number one team it was more like their style was super unique they've now got players who are playing at a really high individual level and they have styles that no one else can play and then they've got the whole carrier factor where like i said he is just a jornak of league and he's not only going to bait all these other supports and these picks and players that they cannot do but he just has it all so like when you look at their team right now like dude you can't even hear on gumiyushi anymore what's the not to like the team's just fucking straight fire and as owner fire. who you know, you pick at what point in time owner Agumiyushi was the worst player on this roster. Owner is definitely in the conversation for best jungler in the league right now. Uh, he is making better pathing decisions than he has in previous seasons. He seems to have leveled up as a player. Faker is quietly having one of the best years that he's had. I've mentioned this on the show previously, but his efficiency is off the rails. He, he is like taking the smallest amount of gold for a mid laner and dealing the most damage per minute he is crazy efficient right now uh and also the meta they are leading the meta in the bot lane and then all of the meta picks that they're able to play contribute makes their style even more their style style yeah good. exactly you know it's mental, it's, it? <laughs> it feels like, like that game i was talking about race. with if you got caught three or four people just shot you that that looks like a nightmare to play man. i don't know how you'd coach against that it just looks fucking almost impossible to play against <laughs> Yeah, uh, you just can't give them those picks, which is why you see, you know, three eighty carry bans against T1 in yes. the first round of every game because they're actually flex picks for them, and it's it's just so annoying. Um, it's so annoying to deal with. By the, by the way, before I forget, because I'm trying to actually collect things every now and then during the week, you know, like back in the day when I would bring those Ryu stories, because otherwise they just get lost to history, you know, people forget details like that, only be me remembers. So one thing I did remember to bring to you was... <laughs> Oh boy. There's, a, there's a video I was watching of LS, right? Where at the beginning, he's talking to his grandma, you know, the one he calls woman, where like he has that gimmick, yeah. which by the way, is a straight fire gimmick. Like, she doesn't Very know anything funny. about League. So she's just like doing it based off the name of the player or whatever, you know, which which just makes it funnier. But in the intro, she goes, he's trying to explain to her, because obviously she knows like Crowdy and Nemesis and all the people that have been in his call streams. She's tra he's trying to explain to her and he goes, oh, you know, like at the moment, Crowdy is one of the best AD carries in Europe. <laughs> 
And she goes, AIDS carrier. And he goes, no, 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 not an AIDS carrier. Like that's because she just heard AD carry and she goes, AIDS carrier. And it's like, <laughs> no, and surprisingly, no, he's not one of the best AIDS carriers in Europe, believe it or not. Jesus. <laughs> Bloody hell, I know. Fucking hell. I didn't expect it to go in that direction. It's a good right? clip, though. It's a good clip, mate. I laughed. I laughed heartily and long. But that way, I replayed it one time. Just fucking love, love that straight fire. <laughs> Although technically, I will say, Monty, technically, Bernard Crowney does play ADC. And in past splits, obviously, now we're fine. Yumi was a champion, Monty, that would attach itself to the AD carry. All I'm going to say, Monty, is in some ways, wasn't he one of the best AIDS carriers in Europe in that regard? Jesus. He was carrying <laughs> that Yumi around the map. I didn't make him do it. Detach. Get clean of that shit. <laughs> so there's also a Malzahar joke in there somewhere. There you go. Sure. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, I, I think like T1 is fast. I mean, it, it even feels like everything just breaks T1's way. You know, it's it, even in the games where Faker's playing Kassadin, it's a, it's just like, oh, well, I guess Faker's just going to get a bunch of kills early in the game and his Kassadin is just going to get hyper accelerated for reasons that both he is good and also the enemy team is making a variety of mistakes. Yes. And even in even in this third game they played versus Gen G, it's not that Peanut just inted at the end, which he did. He did. But it's also that after Peanut inted, the rest of Gen G, which had Mountain Soul and could have just waited for Peanut to respawn. There were no objectives on the map, guys. The Baron was like two and a half minutes from being up. The Elder Dragon was about three and a half minutes from being up. Genji had Mountain Soul. They had the better team composition for the late stage of the game. You got Mountain Soul into Annie. Like, what more could you ask for? This yes. is the best possible scenario. Peanut's like, I should clear vision now. No, you shouldn't, Peanut. Why are you clearing vision? There's nothing to clear vision for. Oh, you're dead. Well, that didn't that didn't mean that Doran had to TP into that fight and Chovy had to flash into the middle of it. Like, what the fuck? T1 actually has the mind control tech that just turns people into zombies know. to feed into they they stole it from TSM from a couple of years ago, where TSM was just mind controlling people in the final game of a series to lose for no particular reason. I couldn't believe this from Genji. You have to just get Peanut to respawn. It doesn't matter if you I don't even think you would have lost an inhibitor, but if you did. Who cares? Yep. We're 40 minutes into this game. Super minions aren't a big deal. You have fucking Mountain Soul. Just take control of the map. Wait for Peanut to come back up. So the the errors that were made by, by the way, by the three veteran members of this squad, Doran, Peanut, and Chovy, are egregious. This series should have been won by Genji. No, I, T1's I, I, good. Just, yeah. <laughs> T1's good, but I think it was it was really close. It was really close. I mean, you could, to be fair, you can also make the argument that T1 should have won game one, especially because the level one set up Zayas with like a, a kill onto Aurelia and Genji really had to fight very hard to get back into that game and manage to win it. Um, and the second game, I think, was was very convincingly in T1's favor. And the third game was very hard, hard fought and close, which makes me very excited for a five game series. Which is the whole point. Games. If you've never seen, here's how the script works in WWE. I mean, LCK Korea, guys. What happens is T1 always plays a really close series against their true rival in which they come through in game three. And you go, oh, boy, I can't wait to see that in the final. Spoiler, it never even usually plays out like that in the final. It's like whoever's the better team just stomps the other one 
and you don't even get this awesome match. But I agree. Obviously, it was just like I was saying with the Perks Game 4 example, like the joke here is that you just wanted to see Game 4, didn't you? Who the fuck? This is a best of three, best of five series I'd be all in for. By the way, I've got two other things to bring you, and they're both from the Heretic's house, because that's right. Ryu's gone, years gone. He's actually on Live Sandbox now, if people don't know. Yep. But we got, in exchange, Jankos has brought us Evie and Ruby this episode. So you know from the past <laughs> ones about Evie. So I'll give yep. you the first one. The Evie story goes like this. This is just on Evie's Twitter himself. It just goes, Jankos told me English about out of milk. I am going to use it now. Jack Spectre just replies and goes, what does this mean, Evie? And then <laughs> Evie just goes, Jankos need milk. <laughs> Because <laughs> if you think about it, all he's saying is he's taught him the phrase, we're out of milk. Jack's like, but what could it mean? He needs milk. And then there's another one. And for this one, I'm actually going to link it here because if you can bring it up, or rather just put it in the VOD or whatever. If you, I don't know if you can bring it up right now, but you have to see this one. It's a visual gag. Don't laugh until I say the joke, Monty, but look at the images. This is Ruby, the Korean mid laner now, right? And this is amazing. Because what you're going to see on the screen is they tried to explain to him like, basically, Ruby, Evie told Ruby, oh, you can use, like, the black tape that Jankos has. And they obviously meant something like, you know, if you pull the blind down and there's a tiny bit of a gap, you'll get, like, yeah. light, right? So they obviously meant to him, put the black tape over that. and smack it. He didn't get, right, that he meant pull the whole black, and he just used the black tape as a blind, guys, and put it up and down. Literally, it looks like an MS Paint picture where you've drawn with the fucking paint tool. He's done it up and down. Oh, they've done a terrible job, by the way. Gaps like all over. I know. He's done it all, and then they've all just gone, like, you know, you can just pull this down. And they've shown him, like, oh, all right. It's the idea not only curtain. It's the idea not only is this shit all going on in this house, which is gold already, but you actually need, if you know the premise of the story with Ryu, it has to be Yankos, who's like in this scenario, he actually is like some sort of fucking mad explorer, like incredible. I can't believe they actually don't use blinds in this culture. They're they're putting tape upon the door. Like he's like the mad fucking because it it almost feels Monty like there's almost like a Cthulhu element, you know? It's like if you actually try to think about the mad premises. That they I mean that you almost go mad just as the observer. Like you can't, your brain can't comprehend what what the fuck these guys are on. What, what that one but, with the tape is so hilarious, though, isn't it? Because you think but, that was a meme. I wouldn't believe that was real if he hadn't told me that. Come on, man. But by the way, guys, you think you want to hang out with pro players? You really don't. There, oh. that ninety five percent of them are like this. They have spent their entire lives playing video games and they literally have no other interests or even like basic skills of keeping themselves alive. And yes, it can be funny, but also it, it is kind of painful to talk to them a lot of the time oh, if you're just like a functioning human being. So I look, man, pro players, I love you. I love watching you play the game. Talking to you. I don't love a lot of the time. You remember there was that story? It was actually years ago, to be fair. He was ahead of the meta in this sense. Years and years ago. I'm t I think it was like season 10 or something, or season nine. Double if that she revealed online that he'd had some people. I think it was like they actually initially stole it, but maybe he got some back. They stole a bunch of crypto from her, I believe. I think they got into a wallet or something. Well, the joke with that is you all might be like, oh my God. It's like, bro, if you know pro players, like Monty's saying, pro players would be the number one target of all phishing links and like anything, <laughs> yes, exactly. anything that just 
just they might just skim on a second monitor. These morons will click that shit, mate. They're the ones for real who'd be turning to you as like, oh, they. I need to like just email. Do I just eat, do I just scan my whole passport when I email it back to them on the bank email? Like, what are you what are you talking about? Like, like I wouldn't let these motherfuckers do anything, mate. I'd have like the final like parental controls on everything. Like, you can't be trusted. You just cannot be trusted beyond like laying in the game and kill champions. You can't be trusted. You pro players. Yeah, you you, you think you think the team houses are are antiquated, but actually team houses are the best way to to keep pro players from doing stupid shit. Yes. Uh, they can't be trusted on their own. You don't want them to have their no. own apartments. <laughs> All you need to know is this. Back in the days when there wasn't team houses, so in Counter-Strike famously, this was always the thing, right? There used to be certain players from that legendary Polish lineup, you all might know, who would turn up to events, Monty, and just have a broken hand, and you'd go are you all right? And they'd go, oh yes, I fell over and my hand went into a window. And then privately you'd just find out like, oh yeah, you just had a fight and punched the guy in the face. Like, and they'd just be turning <laughs> to the event like that. Like what? We've all been prepping for two weeks. You broke your hand. Literally like you had one job, but don't have a broken hand. That's like the baseline requirement for this gig. And you fucked it up. And on top of that, you're just having a cheeky lie. You're pretending like, it wasn't even my fault. Like even, by the way, even that story shit, isn't it? What you fell over. Like who's ever fallen over? And their whole hands have gone into a window that's broken it. Like, no one ever in the history of ever, maybe. Shout out Configs. He was on that sort of shit as well. He was also ridiculous lies. Definitely nonsense. And just overly violent while intoxicated. So, yeah. Shout out. Shout out to him. Right, what else do we talk about now? What's the next topic? Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't get to see all of the LCS games this past week because I was dealing with a bunch of business shit. We just got or, a bunch of man scene uh, stuff, guys. But we've almost passed. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean i also you know this may surprise you but i wasn't terribly interested uh but i did get to see a bunch of the hundred thieves games which i found to be extremely entertaining <laughs> they are let's <laughs> because, be real i saw i actually saw a clip i'd say i only get to see clips now because the shows are too long i saw that clip where you were arguing about whether like hundred thieves is the fraudulent team like spoil it they are fraudulent like it's, it's obvious <laughs> isn't it like that team so if you're an na fan you almost don't want them to win msi mate because i think they're going to get embarrassed if they do uh i don't think they're going to go to msi they started out remember that they started out with this split when they were four and one their four wins were against immortals dignitas tsm and team liquid okay then they lost to FlyQuest. then they lost to eg then they lost to clg then they lost to golden guardians they literally are what on a four game losing streak right now so they went to four and one to four and five this is who these guys should be uh right now um i guess you could say the the loss to CLG was a bit surprising, but Golden Guardians has at least been ramping up since they got gory and their full roster together. And they look like they might, I mean, outside of Licorice, who is just miserably bad, uh, they look like they could be at other positions, a pretty happy roster. Team. Yeah. But I mean, we're back to full NA, by the way. Like FlyQuest, yes, FlyQuest lost a game this week. They were going to lose a best of one at some point in time, guys. Oh. It is very, 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 very hard to go 18-0 in best of ones in League of Legends. Um, they, Especially because there are super weeks, and super weeks cause you to have trap games, and if I'm you know, if I'm Is FlyQuest, the Isla guy ever coming, by the way? What's going on with that? I haven't been keeping up on it. When does he ever come? Um... I didn't see their last game this week. Uh, so I'm not going to say he's not here. I mean, he hasn't played yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. 
I know. Because obviously everyone's um, even forgotten that detail. It's like we all I mean, just act like this is the real roster. And technically, they've got the players. Especially because Ignar's here now, so that's a little weird. They're not just Because um, to me, yeah, that's an they, obvious potential change they can do. I, but but that said, I mean, Winsome has been performing be at fine. a better level than we expected. Yeah. So I'm not entirely even convinced that at this stage, more than halfway through the split, that Ayla is going to be a massive upgrade for this roster. They seem to be rolling along just fine without him. So, hope, I mean, he might be here next week. Oh, there we go. Okay. I mean, put it this way, what's not to, aside from the loss, what's not to like about FlyQuest? Almost everything's to like. Like, Vickler looks like exactly what you'd hope, a Korean midland who's like, I can just do anything I want in this league, pick anything I want and style it, everyone. Prince, if they play around him, is just far and away the best player in the whole fucking league. Yep. Like, there's nothing to dislike. It's just a good team. Yeah, and it should be a good enough team to at least challenge, maybe I not G2. So. Not, not G2, but whatever other European team gets sent to MSI. I think... FlyQuest has had their weaknesses in the early game, and sometimes Vikla does kind of questionable things, but their their real power is in their late game back row. And the fact that they seem to be able to somewhat gracefully recover from losing early game positions, and Vikla can pick it up into the mid and late game, and they do apply good split push pressure, and Prince does have exceptionally good team fighting. These are all great factors for FlyQuest, and I think they're just head and shoulders above any other team in the LCS and every other team in the LCS, I think has some pretty glaring flaws right now. Apparently C9 isn't happy with Diplex in the mid lane. So they're going to be trying m and their, their Korean um, challenger mid laner who apparently has been performing very well. I don't watch that league, so I don't know. Uh, and he's been only on kind of tier two. He's been a Korean sub on, on rosters or been in tier two and in, in other regions previously. And I haven't been overwhelmingly impressed by Diplex. He's okay, he's but just he's not a one. Yeah, he's just whatever. So I can understand, especially Cloud9. They like to take risks to try and improve their ceiling. Um, so that seems like a, a pretty good one to take, especially because they're swapping an import for an import and they have an import spot available. Uh, if Diplex is removed from the roster, makes sense to me. Um, EG has been kind of underperforming. I would say, relative to what we expected. Um, Remember, this was supposed to be the team, kind of like Koi, that like, the floor should have been insane. Like, worst yeah. case scenario, you should easily be second best. Easy. Yeah, they they have, they are they are on a pretty big winning streak. I mean, they have, they've won all their games since they, they lost to FlyQuest, but they did lose to FlyQuest very convincingly. Uh, Golden Guardians, I guess, and TSM are pleasant surprises. Maple was good on TSM a lot of the time last year, and he's continued that. He has significantly better teammates at this point in time. Yep. Solo is a good role player on this roster. Boogie has been very good as well. So they've made, TSM has made, I think, cost-effective adjustments. They're not breaking the bank with this roster, but they've made some savvy moves, and I think The key thing to, to remember is, in past splits, when they had bad lineups, they also overpaying people. They're paying people millions. Yeah. As you say, these look like budget moves that are just good budget moves, mate. Yes. Yeah, I think they've done yeah. a good job of GMing this team um, for, for a reasonable budget. Same thing could be said of Golden Guardians. If Golden Guardians had a different top laner because of how well River Gory and Stixay are playing right now, this might actually be one of the better teams in this league. I, the fact that they are able to win with Licorice playing the way he is is a big testament to the rest of this roster. He is dead weight, like actually dead weight. Um, and yeah, he's just gotten worse. You're on a five-game five winning streak, so... 
Ever since C9, he's gotten worse year on year. I'll even say TSM dodged the ball on that one because he was going to be one of their players, you remember, they were going to try and make that like super team with before Hooney. So and sadly, that is just a player that's just gone down. And the reason why players like that falling off are so sad is because if you know behind the scenes, they are the guys doing all the extra practice and putting the hours in. Like there's nothing sadder in esports, Monty, than when a player does actually put like try hard and it still doesn't work and they're bad at the game. Like you're just a fundamentally bad player now. I'm sorry, you know. It's not yeah. for everyone. Remember, the, the thing is, this is not a fucking... Esports is not about everyone feeling good. It's about winning. It's just a ruthless business like that. By the way, speaking of fucking insanely bad underperformance, this thing that Tass Roster on paper looked, oh, not bad. It's not only terrible, but like the joke is, like the only vaguely redeemable parts are Santorin and Jensen. And it's just impossible for them to win a game, mate. It's like, even if they have an half-decent game themselves, there's just nothing they can do in this squad. Like this is that, this is fucking Elo hell, this team. It's really bad. It's really at bad. Least, at least they have Ignar now, I guess. But that's the problem something. is... That's something. I mean, they're just not built for this meta either. There are two players that are just egregiously bad in the LCS. One of them is Licorice and the other, well, there's three. Tactical is the third one. <laughs> well, maybe Harry as well. Oh my God, there's too many. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but Biofrost is probably the worst, or not Biofrost, Spawn rather, is probably the worst player in the LCS right now. And especially in a bot lane dominated meta. And frankly, there's not even that much competition in terms of bot laner it's kind of like prince berserker and then everybody else um it, it's stacked it's very stacked at the top you I know think. Like they don't prince mention that when everyone bigs up double lift it's like who's he playing against for fuck's sake what <laughs> he's way worse than prince and then after that who is there like he should be at this level already of course yes yeah i mean he should be good but you know yun yun is a new player Neo's been fine. Tactical's been bad. You know, Luger has not even been the best player on his team. That's probably been Dokla, uh, which we expected Luger to be the best player on his team. FBI's been fine, but he hasn't been the best ADC. It wasn't the upgrade league, I he hope has he been would in the be. Past. I, yeah. If he'd have been the best, it'd be a really dangerous team. Yeah. Yes. Sticks A is performing at a level that we haven't seen in many years from that from him. Yeah. So good for him. But you know, you can't just get immensely clapped by some of these. 80 carries it's not they're not that impressive and spawn is just it, it, their bot lane is just so bad it's kind of like a the vitality situation on steroids where vitality is having problems being in you you know leading the league but still having a bottom like a, a bottom tier bot lane this team isn't good enough to do what vitality is doing and they just get dragged into the abyss by having such a pressure black hole in the bot lane there's not really anything you can do. I I honestly think Jensen's playing okay. He's all right. Uh, Santorin's Santorin's he worse the than he game was that's last not bad. year. But yeah, they're trying at least. They look at least like they're trying, Monty. Yeah, and maybe Armo is like for real. This guy, it's it's so badly when you consider he came into the LEC and became a champion twice in a row, Monty. Because when you add in all the world's failures, mate, this guy is one of the all-time check stealers at the moment. Fucking Armo, come on, bro. You're just <laughs> stealing them checks. Give them back. <laughs> Have some fucking dignity in it back. It's just a joke. What the hell is this? Because I'm, I'm so primed, by the way. Remember, he has like a Jazooka type personality. If he ever plays well, I'm so primed to be loving him. He's got a bang of personality, but you can't have like a funny personality and then run it down every game. Like that. That's just it. I hate people like that, I'm afraid. Yeah. I also, you also wonder what could have happened if they had kept Neo on this roster, for example. Wasn't he um, one of the best parts of that old fucking Dignitas? He was like the clear-cut, <laughs> obvious player you'd keep, didn't he? 
they may have problems doing that with import requirements, right? Because they have Armit and and Ignar. Actually, Ignar might count as an. He surely export. must be a West uh, fucking LCS player by now. Surely he's been there so many years, mate. Maybe he no, but he, I think he, he wasn't there because of a visa, so he must not have a green card. Oh, yeah, might have, like reset is the green card. That's so why I don't know. Maybe maybe he's close to it or or something like that. But I mean, you also don't have to import Armut. Let's be real; the value that that's providing is not. Dude, that's well though, because he's been there since like late 2019. What the fuck? Yeah, I don't know. I don't <laughs> what the know. hell? Uh, actually, well. Neo's residency is North America, so he counts as a North American player. Never mind. So Neo is a Neo is a North American resident player. So he actually could have uh, potentially been here had they not removed him from that roster. But there's no reason they couldn't have him then. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's I I think. Dignitas obviously tried to put together a more competitive roster this year, and maybe they're just cursed and they can't do they they can't do anything. But it's it's very grim uh, for Dignitas, <laughs> and the morale must be absolutely terrible right now. It's not going to probably look much better for them. They're playing FlyQuest and EG this week. Uh, maybe they have a shot at beating Immortals the week after that, or CLG the week after that, but or Hundred Thieves maybe. But it's tough because I think. Some of their weaker opponents they've already lost to in the second round, Robin. The idea that that lineup is zero nine, not even one <laughs> game. I can't even squeeze they lost one. an entire round, Robin. That's mental, in it. That's so fucking bad. By the way, you already touched on it earlier, but I'll tell you one thing. Look, I obviously get some mega wrong. I was totally wrong on XL. I think I even had Fnatic as like fifth best or something. Like, there's loads of teams I've missed on this split. Oh, sure. But I'll tell you one that I hit on like a motherfucker. I told everyone there's no world where this team Liquid is a... Like, I saw on like fucking... People were having a question on Facebook. Like, is this a failed super team? Bro, it was never a super team. Remember, the two Dude, positions, right. you win all the titles with an LCK, in LCS, are mid lane and ADC. That's exactly where they put the fucking semi-rookie players. Like, this has failed completely. That hairy guy's nothing, mate. It's nothing. In a league where you need a really good mid. Come on, bro. What is this? This is, this is why I argued against Dom when he said that Liquid was more fraudulent than a hundred thieves because I mean, I was they were like, always what fraudulent. Were, yeah, exactly. What, what were, so first off, they're <laughs> actually less fraudulent than they were last year. Like last year was the biggest like LCS fraud in history. Like that that lineup with that cost almost seven million dollars, and then this year they they had a rookie. They had rookie mid laner and eighty carries and Summit who was coming off. I mean, his last appearance was an MVP regular season performance, and I don't think he's been. But I think he's been up and down this split, but I don't think he's been as bad. But also, you forget that he just mentally boomed and sabotaged Cloud9's playoffs. There's no guarantee he's not going to do that again. You pair that with Marin, a guy with literally no coaching experience, and Core JJ, who's not coming off his best year ever, right? And Pioshik, a player that we all knew was massively I also overrated. told everyone he's not going to come and be the MVP in Smurf. Like, just not. Like, he was even in a bad time in his career before Worlds. Like, it was a good yes. fucking mad touch and go. He, he probably would have been benched, I think. You know, could have well happened. I've watched Pioshik for years. He has never been a consistent player. He is super streaky. Yes. Okay? So... The, the, the idea that this team was supposed to be one of the best teams in NA, 
I, I think was a reach. So I don't think they're super fraudulent. I think they're partially fraudulent, but I do think there was an immediate ceiling on what we could. I mean, we, we should have expected if we're if we're being honest, like immediately right out of the gate, we should have expected more from 100 Thieves in spite of the fact that they also have two rookies. Right. Because their AD carry and mid positions are veteran and uh, are veteran players like the mid position being the veteran player is probably the most important. Yes. Right. Um, mid and maybe jungle as well. And you're getting Pioshek and you're getting this Korean roster. So that's not the, the issue that team liquid had, but Bjergsen is a, has a very high floor. I would argue a low ceiling at this point in time, but a very high floor, much higher than most likely Harry did. So I, I think that hundred thieves, they're both obviously underperforming and fraudulent to a certain degree, but I mean, Team Liquid is depressing in the way that they throw more than anything else. Like, Pioshik is so wasted on this team. It's not its not the right type of team for him to play in as well. Like, the sad thing is, to me, I, I, look, I get the vibe of, like, maybe Team Liquid caught him or whatever. To me, the obvious move for Pioshik was, this is where you went to the LPL and you just got paid, mate. You just get paid for being a world champion. Look, you're not a legit one. You just get paid, though. You go for that one or two years. You sneak your way onto some bullshit FPX-type squad. You get a nice big chunk of money, and then you get to ride off into the sunset in two years, or just come back to LCK and play on Live Sandbox or whatever the fuck like but like this is this wasn't the move like anyone who saw remember the joke of the offseason was this on paper prince is the one you all didn't know because you don't watch lck but it was actually obvious that even though pure on paper remember should have been in that conversation we had like greatest import ever no anyone with eyes and who knows his career knew it wasn't going to work out like that like and, and also of all the roles like he is. He was. He's not like some god carry jungler guy. Why was he going to do on his? What's he going to do on his own as a Korean jungler in the LCS? For fuck's sake! Like it's just. It's. It's not going to get better in my opinion. Like you can. You can swap a player in or out, and maybe the team can get a bit better. But fundamentally, it's just not a very good squad, mate. And also, I don't know. I saw people were loving that like Sven take where he thinks like Vulcan's been better than Core JJ for years. I think that's a bit of a reach. But I will say, in the era when they had tactical before and now the Yorn guy, what is the point in doing that when you've got Call JJ. I don't get that personally, you know. Like to me, look at his career. He had amazing success with fucking ruler and double lift. I think we might need a good ADC next to this guy. Like, why what well, are we doing? Also, Han Sama was also just tragically bad last year. And it's it that truly to me is one of the more, more unfortunate aspects because that should have been a good bot lane. Like oh. that should have been Hansama likes to play aggressively in lane. Core wants to be that aggressive all-in player. I think that there was a lack of synergy between the way that Bjergsen and core JJ wants to play the game. Bjergsen is the guy who sits there waiting for the throw to catch it. Whereas core JJ wants to get in your face and force the other team to make a mistake. And perhaps there was just some unreconcilable differences between the players on that team that caused Hans to be bad or Hans miss being in Europe or whatever the reason was, but that bot lane should have been good last year on paper that stylistically makes sense. And it also didn't work. So core JJ hasn't been at any kind of MVP level performance. Again, part of that was Hans was quite, quite bad, quite bad. Um, but core needs to be the leader on this roster that gets other people to step up or to see the, you know, to play the game in the way he wants to play it. And he was given that opportunity this year. He was given an entirely Korean speaking roster. I'm sure he had a major hand in constructing this roster and selecting Marin as a coach. He is the foundational piece of team liquid at this point in time. And this is his choice. He made this basically. 
he made this with the with the staff at Team Liquid and I don't know what excuses are left. I don't think he made last year's roster. I do think he made this one. It's one of the only times I've ever seen someone, at least in terms of resources, attempt like a super team roster. But as we say, like every move is flawed. Like Summit could be a monster, but the way he left was so disgraceful. I wouldn't blame no team for ever picking him up again. Then you have the pure shit one, just obviously he's not going to be that good and he's just not the right temperament to fit with these players. And then these rookies also, like... I think these guys must be getting baited because you hear stories like maybe people were thinking of these guys. Was anyone really targeting these players in their offseason? That almost seems like you just fucking tricked Team Liquid in a fucking sign anymore. I don't get it. Because remember, they were the ones themselves when they didn't know which angle they were going. Try to imply like, no, no, we'll be the ones bringing Ayla in actually. He'll be coming in like immediately because they didn't know if they were going to like keep Hodge J or Bjergsen or whatever the fuck. So that I think this entire roster, they just zigged when they should have zagged me. It just looks terrible. Like you're just going to have to take this one apart. Yeah. I, I don't even know how you make moves, though, is the problem, because you've committed to this, like, Korean-speaking roster. Yep. So you either have to start introducing, you know, non-Korean players into it in, a, in an attempt to get better. But for the most part, all of the talent in North America has been accounted for. So it's like, do you import more Koreans and then replace, you know, where you can based on import rules? How do you fix the mid lane situation? Because that's the, the, the mid lane situation is by far the most dire. Like, Yon is okay. He, he's not good, but he's not... Harry is actually, like, losing you games. And you cannot have... You cannot have a functional League of Legends team with a bad mid laner. This is just... It's just the truth of League of Legends. Yep. That's it. <laughs> there has never been a good team without, at the very least... Like, the the worst you can do at mid lane is just be Doan B in 2019 and run around the map and prop up your other lanes. Right. Or like old make... school Kuro when he was just like, yeah. you know, just just don't die basically. Like that's your job. Yeah. Just don't die. Don't die to fake like, him one v one. That's team, all you need. Team fight, team fight okay. <laughs> you know, play some like control mages or something, or be doing B and just be like, I I am playing Nautilus and Galio and running around the map and helping other people in the lanes. And it at least you're providing some level of value, yes. is my point. You you can't be bad at playing control mages and then hope to win the game. Like, you just, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. And also, I'll just say this, right? In general, I do think in history, Steve Arns has done a great job getting massive names in a Team Liquid. But it's like, bro, he's become Doublelift these last few years. Doublelift must have infected him somehow. Because all he does now is he is a star fucker for anyone who has won a world championship. <laughs> if you've won a world championship, he's on the phone. Like, Pjoshik, yes, please. Like, oh my God, fucking Marin. I, I must have out Marin. Like, bro, what is this? What is this? And even, you can even extend it further. Maybe just making the finals. He even got Brox in that year like after everyone on every show for two years was like Broxer's not actually a fundamentally good jungle like signing Broxer to team with <laughs> give me a break these, are, these have been some misses mate these last couple of years have been some misses even though again the names are huge fair play by the way there wasn't a really a reason why you couldn't have built around Whippo Whippo was fine last year. Really he was get probably it. the best performing player. By the way, you could also oh. switch Whippo to jungle if you wanted to. Well, there was to. that Whippo thing, was to be fair. Jungler. To be fair, there was that thing where it was implied in the offseason that he tried to, like, he was going to, I think, go to, like, Vitality or something, and, like, he sort of got fucked. It was one of those ones where it sounded like he thought he was in and then, like, accepted before they'd, like, signed, and then he ended up getting, like, musical chaired out of a spot last second. So I think I think, I think think he was supposed to come to LEC, right? I, I believe that's correct. Off the top yeah, of I, heard, I heard something 
something about that, but something I'm not like sure. That. Or maybe but he I, was going to be on G2. I can't remember which team it was. I, I think Bwipo was like the least shitty player on Team Liquid last year. The problem and... he had was just because of his style of top lane, if he ints, he just got all the flame, that's all. Just the way he, it's been his whole but, career, mate. But, but flipping back to jungle, I think he's actually quite a good jungler. And you had that flexibility to really like imagine if you are trying to build a team around core JJ and Bwipo and you have the flexibility of being able to change Bwipo's position and still have him be useful to your roster. Oh, he's the easiest person to keep. advantage. From that lineup, because as you said, even core JJ was just neutralized by how shit that bottling was. Bwipo was the only bright spot in that team, in my opinion, last year. Yeah. And I would imagine, especially that Whippo's style of jungle and Core JJ's style of support might actually mesh together pretty well. It seems like something you could work on. I don't know, man. I, I, I think like I, I don't agree with the direction that they took to create this Korean roster. And also, I mean, they must have been trying for impact at some point in time. I would have to imagine like Summit wasn't their first choice when Impact, you know, decided to like test the market outside of EG and ended up at FlyQuest. There must have been conversations between Impact and Team Liquid as well. But, you know, they got they got rid of Impact. <laughs> I mean, that's also why it's so gross, bro. You're in a league with Impact and someday just pick one, <laughs> flip a coin and then get whichever one says yes. Come on, bro. Right. <laughs> right like they could have gotten either one of those guys but i think probably impact may have been burned by team liquid from his last stint there right that's a possibility maybe he wanted to try something different with flyquest instead also flyquest may have been throwing around more money that's also right, here's, a possibility here's the thing monty i'll do the obvious joke is if you ever look let's have a look what the actual I need to double check that the actual definition is correct. Basically, the joke is when you see, you know, I always say, Monty, coming from the alchemical and hermetic world, it's really important what name that you have because that imbues certain attributes and resonances, right? Obviously, when you see Summit play, I think the same thing. This motherfucker can't get any higher. Because fucking hell, this guy, why is he so, what I don't get is this as well, mate, is that's not a Korean top lane style. Like they have to carry top lanes in Korea, but they're normally mad responsible with it. Like they play, this guy, he is just like, I've always said, this is another player that's like a Korean who should be in the LPL, mate. Like that's just the league for you, bro. Like, because he's just sure. another one of those motherfuckers that just has like one speed, just all in. It's like, if everything, <laughs> if he's the best player, like he was in Cloud9, that's like, he'll look awesome. You'll stomp a bunch of games. But it's one of those ones that just doesn't seem to know when, like, he's behind or his team's playing badly. It's the wrong pick. Like, he just goes for it, doesn't he? I don't get it, mate. It's fun to watch. He's uh, you know, I'm not swag, but on a losing team, it becomes shit, doesn't it? That's the problem. You know, you want to, if he was like in the third best team, I'm, okay, then, then let's have fun with it, you know? Yeah. And I think the the disappointment with Team Liquid is like they're three and six now. They've thrown games that they they should have won. They've been able to accrue early advantages that they they then tossed right out the window. Um, I, I think it's going to be very uh, actually I, I take that back. I don't even know if it's going to be very difficult to come back. Like if we're being honest, how much better does Team Liquid have to be to go to Worlds? What Who's their competition? Like they could easily be the fourth best team in this league. <laughs> I mean, they're lucky I, in the sense that obviously you expect Golden Guardians will fall away. Obviously, like, like it's borderline if TSM can do it. Like, realistically, there's going to be like two or three teams top. So they have a chance at least for that third spot. They have a chance. Right. If they yeah. fundamentally fix things now, they've got a few months to go, obviously. I, I mean, I think that's the sad part is that there are such enormous flaws in every single LCS team outside maybe FlyQuest, Cloud9, and EG. And even then, Cloud9 and EG have looked beatable yep <laughs> um 
that it's not outside of the realm of possibility that with some improvement or a player swap, they could actually make it into worlds. It's pretty crazy to say. I thought, you know, people were hyping up LCS because they're like, oh yeah, this is going to be the most competitive split in a long time. But the fact that 100 Thieves, Team Liquid, and Dignitas have all more or less shit the bed has made this region actually look really top-heavy. Indeed. By the way, as an aside, one thing I'll give, because every now and then, if the if the fans in the peanut gallery come up with a good joke, I like to give credit them, Monty. So I did see a good one on Reddit I saved for you, which is obviously the whole upside of Team Liquid is the idea they can all speak Korean, right? And that's the whole premise. <laughs> so someone just goes, the way Team Liquid plays team fights, you would think they were all speaking different languages instead of all speaking Korean. And some guy did say, let me see, he goes... Uh, Nah, Yeon speaks English. Harry speaks Australian, and Summit just speaks nah noises, which is like <laughs> that's pretty good. Okay, fair play. You can take that one. That was good. That was good. I like that one. That's that legit. Is, that is that was all done. That was all done. <laughs> uh, all right. I mean, that's that's the LCS for this week, guys. I mean, there's there's not a lot to say until something actually interesting happens in this league. Uh, I guess I guess this next week we get the the mega banger of Team Liquid yep. versus 100 Thieves. <laughs> I'll be watching that one, guys. I'll be watching that one for sure. I guess FlyQuest versus 100 Thieves. I get to watch Prince Blitz Double Lift in the Trash Can Part Two. Always enjoy that one. Uh, but otherwise, matchups maybe EG versus Golden Guardians might be a little bit interesting this week. It's it's hard to be excited though when we when we have this week at LPL, uh, you know. Top versus JDG happening, Weibo versus LNG happening, and in LCK LEC we have the Telecom War. Yeah, LEC playoffs. Like LCK, we've got the Telecom War. You see that's why a couple of down. episodes I made that point. Like the other formats just now make LCS even worse because just the contrast is so jarring, guys. Like in LEC, it's at the most exciting point already. In LCS, yeah. you're still waiting. Like, oh wait, oh is that one hundred thieves versus team? Like, who cares, man? They got the one round robin, guys. Here we go, second <laughs> round. Like, like literally, literally, the advertising is. So we got three best of five, consequential best of fives in LEC this weekend. Or, or guys, wait for it. We have the start of the second best of one round robin. And look, LC, L, LCK, and LPL formats also suck, but because they have more teams and because they're best of threes, at least like and they have better teams, at least this week, you can, you know, you can safely ignore some of the games. Like, are we really going to be watching Breon versus DRX? No, but we also have T1 versus KT, T1 versus Live Sandbox, right? We have KT versus D+. There are at least good matches that we can be watching within these leagues because we can cherry pick them and they're, they're compelling. So. Bad Who format. Should we swap and do some video questions? Yeah, let's take a quick bathroom break. When we uh, come back, by the way, pay attention because there is now a real new way that you can do the yes. video questions and we've transitioned all. So we'll be back in a minute. Yeah, take a break. Bye. Okay, so guys, we are taking questions again. And uh, that means that if you are on the Last Free Nation Discord server, which you can find in Twitch chat or linked below the YouTube video. You should join there. Good place to meet other fans, have conversations about esports, whatever your esport of choice is. Fun stuff going on there. There is a server subscription right at the top. And if you subscribe, you'll be able to ask questions. And also you will have the heartwarming 
uh, ability to support independent esports content. And this is so, one of the best ways you can do it, by the way. Like, if the number one way you can generally support us is if we ever have a sponsor that has a product by the product that just goes without saying for how the metrics yep. work. But the number two way right now, if you want to directly fund us, is the Discord one because we just get the best cut of it basically compared to all yeah. the other breakdowns you can have. Yeah, with with Twitch, we actually we do appreciate your prime because that costs you absolutely nothing. So that's great for us. But if you are debating between a tier one Twitch subscription and a Discord subscription, they are very similarly priced and we get 90 percent of the Discord money. And unlike a tier one Twitch subscription, you can actually ask questions. So you you get something more out of it as well. Um, so here we go. If you could clone anyone from esports, could be a pro player, Duncan Idaho style, who would it be and why? Example, get a new Loco Doco clone every time he gets burned out so that listen Loco can still continue. Wait, wait, <laughs> what's so what's so insane about that is the it's the actual case, the use case that he wants for listen local clones. <laughs> he wants them, Monty. It's the idea that each one only has like about a year and a half before they mentally break from me just berating them on that show. So he instead of changing like how I interact with Loco Doco, who he just wants to have like an actual series of endless clones. Like, right, that one's done. Take it out back. <laughs> Old yellow star. And then in comes the new local. Hey guys, I think I could be in the support on CLG. Like, great, he's back. Get him in the seat. Let's start the show. Lights, camera, action. I know. Like, what a mad reason to do it. <laughs> I like that, that guy's. Like that it. guy's just a sadist. That's what I'm, I'm getting from this. He just True. wants to watch Loco Doco get abused until Loco Doco can't take it anymore. At which point, he must be replaced for more abuse. Exactly. Um, there has been the joke about LS clones, by the way, that we <laughs> we discussed this on the world's watch parties that I did. But the the my our new theory is that LS is actually just a series of clones, which is why he disappears for you know days or weeks at a time at some points. Um, it just explains if you think that LS is actually just a clone that gets replaced by another LS clone, it actually just explains so much about everything that is LS uh, over the years that. That's a that's a popular one. But who would it be? A clone? Anyone from esports? Who would it be? And there's no reason we're just doing it for no reason. Uh, look, I would clone Forgiven because he's hilarious, and also because he was very talented at other games. He hit like global elite and Counter Strike, and he hit the the top of the ladder in Heroes of the Storm. I would clone him and see how many different Forgivens we could get into different esports. That would be a very interesting experiment for me. But it is where the obvious people would just be like the exceptional prodigy type people. So you could do like Forgiven in League of Legends, Stefano and Nanowide, Starcraft, if people remember back at Serral. Like these people are pretty naturally good. Obviously, if you can do, if it doesn't have to be League of Legends in general, I would take like Simple, like spoiler, it's a pretty fucking exceptionally good player. Imagine if there was like five Simples that existed. They don't all have to be on the same team. Just to watch them play each other would be fucking amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, put fakers at different positions because the faker's shown himself to be incredibly versatile. That'd be a fun one. Uh, let's go on oh, the next uh, Right now, by the way, if you go on right now, though, the obvious answer is Carrier. Like, there's just nobody yeah. like that in League of Legends. <laughs> That's why, to me, Trimby is like poor man's Carrier. Like, in the West, he is like Carrier, mate. Just the champion pool's OP. You can play all the shit. You can get away with it. Like, that. That player, like, the LPL wishes they had a Carrier, mate. That's the one player they don't have. <laughs> That's good. Um, you both seem to have a very good memory. Is this in all aspects of your life or just things you're interested in, such as esports? Has this always been the case or is something you had to work on? Uh, well, Thorin, I, I don't know how you do it, man. <laughs> I think I have a good memory, but you've got way better memory than I do. It's crucially for things I care about, though. 
Like, for example, I am someone where if I don't care at all and like I barely know someone, I probably won't remember. I might not even remember the name. That's possible. But if it's something I care about, like my brain was engaged, I have some mental things. Like in the modern day, by the way, the one that I've found, it's not even the esports that's the most impressive one. Here's the craziest one, Monty. If I was to watch a Netflix movie or show with you now and it features any actor I've seen in a past movie or TV, I could probably tell you who they are. Not like the name, but like, oh, that person was in like an episode of Monk in like the 2000s. I could tell you like so there are certain ones i have like mad facial recognition for so for some of that i do think it was always the case but the difference is in esports i always say it's like to me an amazing memory is like your brain can really quickly go to the point you just recall it in esports i'm not even always doing that like sometimes the reason it'll take a second but i still get there is i always say in esports it's like i've done so many pieces of content that involve the same research but crossing all the different it's like i've got a million ways to get there so my analogy is always like it's like in my analogy if the bridge is down i can go around up and across a different highway and get to the same point eventually so i do think you can definitely work on it and level it up you know i i also think that what's true probably for both of us is because we have, you you know, either I was casting or you were making all of your, your videos and talk shows. It's that when you are forced to articulate that idea in speech and really nail down your own thoughts and your own analysis about it, it sticks a lot better. There's a reason why guys, I never take notes on computers. I know it sounds weird, but I have notebooks filled with casting notes from my years of casting because they've done studies that show, and I know it's more effective for me to actually handwrite the statistics I need, handwrite my points because it reinforces them better. And I've said this about my bangers only streams. I am a better analyst when I am articulating the games and I'm going through them and explaining them to you like I did when I am casting. I I have been a better analyst this year from doing these bangers only streams. I have been. And it sticks in my memory more because I'm not just passively watching the content. I am actively engaging with every single moment of gameplay that's happening on the stream. Um, I'm interacting with the chat who's also bringing up points and kind of uh, dimensionalizing my view of the game or saying dumb shit that then I have to counteract and articulate myself. So actually, I think, you know, casting and bangers only really do make you interact with that content in a much deeper way, which enforces your memory. So this is all to say, if you want to increase your memory, the way I do it is you take more time to actually verbalize your thoughts and record them or interact with people uh, while talking about an idea, as well as taking physical notes that you're writing down very deliberately by hand reinforces those connections. I would just give the analogy because a lot of people are going to be able to relate to this, right? If you were to ask someone just off the top of their head, like who are the top five mid laners, right? Everyone immediately gets a rough like s- sample size in their brain generated, right? So your brain goes like faker, showmaker, rookie, night, you know, you pick up. But the problem is this, everyone will then argue before they've actually sat down and done this, like, oh, why have you got that guy? What about this guy here? But if you actually make yourself sit down and only pick five, you're not allowed to yep. have or on but you have to make yourself pick that fifth one on the fifth one you will find like Monty's saying you're actually forced to figure out what actually how do I figure out this what are my model? criteria yeah what what principles do I really care about more what what that what factor am I going to favor over another one if you don't do that the problem is and that's why I gave that example because fans can surely understand you you're you will think you have this set worldview but actually it's super fuzzy because what you do if you don't make yourself do that Monty is you can just let your brain all lie to you like in two weeks when one of those 
guys drops down, because you already had seven names in your top five, you'll just boot one of the other ones up and you'll think, I was right the whole time. No, you weren't. Like, if you'd have made yourself, this is what I always told you. That's why I actually even think doing the gambling stuff leveled me up in CSGO. On the really hard margin cases, it made me have to make a decision. I couldn't just, yep. like, pussyfoot around and just hope you can talk your way out of it. Well, it's also like when I did my global power rankings, which you guys saw on the Twitch channel, or you could, if you're watching the YouTube or the Spotify, go to the last free nation lol channel and you can see the global power rankings I did. I, you know, I had to toy around with that list where, you know, you, you lay out all of the teams that you think could be in that top 10. You set out the criteria. What is the meta? Is this team good at the meta right now? Um, what is the relative strength, especially when the teams are on different patches, makes it even harder. But then I had to take a bunch of notes and then I sw swapped some teams around after I made that. But the exercise in and of itself made me remember and define those team styles in my own mind uh, more deliberately and more concisely. Um, so yeah, those are some tips. You're given a time traveling blimp. Where do you choose to go? Why is it a blimp? Does that mean I can't go into space? Like, I, I assume I, I'm <laughs> going to guess the premise would be that like that would be the easiest thing to travel in still because all you'd need to have is like whatever the fuel is. Like you wouldn't need like an airplane's going to be hard if you're going past time. Plus, to I guess you'd be safe stuff, you know? in most time periods yeah. so that you were not we'd on the ground where Remember, a blimp can go. A lot of people don't know a blimp can go way. Like, it's like the ones in the modern day, but they could do that back then. They could go way higher than just a balloon or whatever, mate. Sure. Like, yeah, you can go like a plane almost. So it's actually a mad underrated aspect of technology so if we had that what's the question where would we go or what time period or something yeah so basically you'd be pretty safe in any time period prior to the 20th century <laughs> right you'd be you'd be hard to take out yeah. of the sky um so it'd be pretty safe where where would i go well, i think it's easy for me because on this one the main thing i think most history is at best exaggerated and it was just a flat out lie so what i would like to see is all the shit that they all claim happened like i don't know if you know this but especially if you ever read like bible stories and stuff one of the things they do that's mental is in different books they retell the same stories but stuff happens like the number of soldiers are just off by a factor of 10 monty like in one <laughs> battle they had millions and the other one it was like you know the same one like hundreds of thousands right so what i want to know is this you know, either when you hear stories like of what the Mongols did, or you hear these stories where they claim there was millions of soldiers all at once, I would just like to see that. Like, because remember, the, the worst thing about modern movies is they can do that, but because it looks so CGI, it takes you instantly out of it. You've never actually had that feeling. It's why, if you don't know, in the 20th century, when they would try making those movies like Napoleon, they would actually have massive scenes where there's hundreds of people so the camera can pan out and you can get a sense of, like, whoa, the scale would be immense on this, you know. So I would just like to see, when it is one of those old school, you know, Persia against, like, the fucking Greeks all combined, I want to see what does that actually look like? Like, does it just look fucking... Because <laughs> if we're way up, we could the whole battlefield mate be a, be like watching warhammer battle just go in and be fucking sick wouldn't it <laughs> i mean fuck the blimp we'll we'll assume that i have time to learn ancient greek but i'd probably go back to classical athens just because there was so much interesting shit happening in that tiny city at a very specific like 100 200 year period that it would be fascinating to go and see that particular culture at that particular time what I would do is I would go back in time and I would observe on my blimp, like what Riot does in their offices, what TSM does. Then what I'd do is I'd warn the public that like Reggie's a tall <laughs> asshole and Riot like abuses women. And then nothing had happened because we already did that in real life. And uh, so I would have just seen it. But then at the end, like Cassandra, the curse that would be right in the end, but no one would care. So, oh, wait, that was my life. My bad. I already did that shit. <laughs> we were the, we I were just the didn't Cassandra. have a blimp. Right. Oh, they're the we joke there, Monty. Yes. I already did that anyway, but this way I get a blimp out of it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever 
have you listened to XL's in-game comms? Which, by the way, to be fair, that sounds like something Doublelift would say. In the end, all I got out of TSM was a blimp. Sounds like some sort of sexual <laughs> euphemism or something, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> have, you, have you listened to XL's in-game comms? Do you think the leak slash release to them, they did actually leak it. I did not listen to the leak VOD. Um, well, problem is it's deleted now. But if you go and watch yeah. Nemesis's stream, he has a VOD where he just watches it. My joke was the best one on Twitter, mate. Because since it got deleted, my joke was is the reason that the VOD was deleted because the XL has a policy of never allowing Cersei to ever look good. Because the joke <laughs> is that VOD actually sort of redeemed him a bit, Monty. If you watch it, he's just talking the whole time. He's trying his best to shot call the lanes and what to do. And, so. and the point is, not only are most of them barely talking, but Targamas almost never speaks in the whole VOD. Dude, even when as a pike, he is coming to get a kill in the jungle with his jungler, he doesn't even say anything. It's like Patrick that says something. It's like, so like <laughs> the joke, I can see, by the way, why this VOD will have made some of yeah. the others look really bad. I actually thought it made Cersei look half decent. Made it look like, hey, fucking trying still, mate. You know. Well, it probably makes sense that the rumors of Targamas being removed from the team are pretty good then. Um, so I guess we'll we'll just wait and see. And what, uh, by the way, guys, one VOD of a of a of a game does not mean that that's how it always goes. And it was their They're best good. game, by the way. It was the Vitality one that was like 55 minutes long. So it was like actually the game they were in, if you remember, that was like a pretty good game for yeah. most of it, you know? Yeah, so I, I think it's very interesting, but you have to remember that, you know, sometimes a player just has an off day and they're not going to talk that day. And that's just the reality of how pro teams operate. So we can only draw so many conclusions from a single VOD. I will just say from the behind the scenes, it sounds like a lot of people don't like Takamas anymore. Yeah, that's all I'll tell you. So it's not good. It ain't, it ain't a good state of affairs. <laughs> Can you talk about the business motivations of pivoting SI and LFN towards more traditional online content, social media, clip channels, fan subscriptions, et cetera? We're trying to make it a real business is the answer. That's it. <laughs> like the thing about it is that we never had the, the resources in order to do these things before. And this was a side project that we are trying very, very passionately to turn into a, a real business. And we think that there's an opportunity to do that now where there wasn't really before. Do you find the risk of injury from amateur combat sports overblown? Anecdotally, many people I talk to say they prefer conventional gym training or other cardio activities because of lower risk of injury. All right, I've done Muay Thai for many years. There is a higher risk of injury if you are hard sparring. I have probably gotten mild concussions from doing that, uh, including one few weeks ago. Um, but if you are not hard sparring and you're just doing pad work or light sparring in classes, I would say the risk of injury is very, 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 very low. So no, I don't think that it carries an inherent risk unless you are engaged in more competitive versions of the sport. But you always have a choice of whether you're, it's not mandatory to do those things. So I think that is overblown. The but problem also, is, yeah, go on. I mean, if you are if you are trying to fight at an amateur or professional level, obviously it's significantly more dangerous, but that's your choice. The problem is when you just work out at the gym, it's only you. So you always have the choice. The second it becomes uncomfortable to stop immediately, you put the weight down, get the spot on it taken off you, like, whoa, whoa, stop. The problem is, right, like basically one of the main sports that has actually wrecked this is unfortunately jujitsu. Because jujitsu, because you aren't punching people, is one of the only sports you can essentially go 100% in sparring and rolling with people. Now, the downside of that is when you go 100% and you're both rolling around and scrappling for, scrabbling for a position, and bet it's easy for 
for the person to just get your arm at the wrong position, your leg at the wrong position, the muscle to just be strained from being stretched all the time anyway. And it basically, if you do enough jujitsu, inevitably you will have eventually a knee problem, a shoulder problem, a muscle will tear away. But that's just because you're putting mad wear and tear on it. And like I say, there's another person involved. So in that moment when he catches you in some weird position, your leg's caught out, there's not time to go like, pause, like, wait, like my leg, it's just going to, it's just going to get popped, unfortunately. So I would just say, I wouldn't worry about that because essentially if you're doing as much jiu-jitsu as I'm talking about that, you're probably going to be very healthy. It's going to be great for all other aspects here. It's probably worth it, but there's a reason why if you ever listen to like the top jiu-jitsu people, it's just injuries just become inevitable because you're using the body a lot more. Yeah, but it's also your body becomes used to that kind of condition. Like Your body becomes conditioned. So for example, uh, you know, my body at this point in time it, my shins are very hard and my thighs, I mean, you can kick me a lot in the legs and I won't get injured, right? Because my body is just used to that kind of punishment. And so you get used to it is basically, and you learn how to take hits and not get injured as well. Um, but it, I, again, I really think it's just about how hard you go. How hard do you go? Uh, favorite lull champ and how would you make it professionally viable? I mean, it's probably some sort of, I assume we're talking favorite lull champ that is not currently professionally viable. I, look, I'll, I'll take the, the, the macro choice of Ivern and say that Ivern could be very interesting potentially at a professional level um, if you had teams that were willing to play around it. I generally think LS is right in terms of his theorization around Ivern. I just think he's so weird that teams don't want to actually put practice into him because there's no point in doing that because those skills are not easily transferable. The problem with that was I'm trying to think of one that's not viable because my, everyone knows my favorite is Pike and the joke with Pike yep. is the way you make it viable is you just pick it in the draft. So no matter whether it's a meta <laughs> or not, because if you're a Pike player, fuck do you care? I've always said the best part about Pike is you're always having fun, even if you're losing. <laughs> yep. You know, remember, I don't have to stay in lane. I'm off. That W is delicious. What are you talking about? So if I'm picking one that's not played currently, let me think. Because there's a lot being played right now. Like a lot of my favorite bot lane champions are in the meta, for example. Let me think. All right, I'll get, here's one for you. Just because we're going old school. It's not played currently. It was a year or two ago. I've always thought like Diana's a pretty fun champion when it's in, in the meta. Because it's just a great pop-off champion. Obviously, I used to like it as a top lane champion. But even as a jungle, it could be pretty good too. I've always thought that was an interesting one. Just very rarely in the meta, is it? Uh, you have obtained a magical mirror that lets you see the bizarro world of our reality. What do you think the bizarro Monty and Thorin would be up to? Because <laughs> the premise here is like they're the opposite to us, essentially. Yeah, I guess. Uh, honestly, I think if we're if we're talking about skill sets that I have and and paths that I would have pursued if I had a different ethical structure, I honestly believe that I might have gone into like military intelligence or CIA work. Um, I think the international aspects of that are very intriguing to me, but I don't really want to live my life with the kind of stakes and ethical dilemmas that that brings up. But I think that I probably would have been well suited to that kind of stuff. What is though? He means like not just all the time. He means if you were like the opposite to who you are now. No, I'm saying that, like, oh, what, if so I had entirely different skill sets? Right, okay. Yeah, ethically. If I was right, ethically, okay. if I took my same skill sets and applied them differently, 
I think that is something I would. Well, in that case, I know the answer because the joke is essentially it's what people on Reddit already say I am. So I would be someone who never told the truth. I would use lies <laughs> and manipulation all the time to get my way. I would just blackmail every player yeah. and, fr and get everything I want. The joke is <laughs> it's what losers think I'm already doing, but I haven't done a single one of those things ever in my entire career. Hence why there's never a piece of evidence. Weird how that works, isn't it? You know, weird how that works. Yeah, exactly. I would have joined the CIA, you know, <laughs> been a government blackmailer. Um, uh, and liar. Uh, how common is the type of player in esports? I'd rather lose than not be the reason. I'd rather lose than not be the reason we win. Um, hmm. Essentially, what he means is like obviously the main problem, particularly in league, is everyone wants to be the carry, and yeah. especially in solo queue, they will just not fucking be not the carry if they fuck up the draft. You know, I I would say that that's less common than a player being like, I don't want to be the reason we lose. And not taking a risk. Like, I think the passive play is much more common where players become KDA players yeah. uh, as opposed to saying, uh, like, trying to make the I'd rather lose than not be the reason we win. I don't think that's a very common mentality. What do you think? No, if, if anything, the number one flaw with the Western player is that's usually what happens when they start to fall off. Like, look at Bjergsen, Reckless. They don't just fall off and become bad. What they have is they have a middle part where they sort of start to identify, like, fuck, I'm not on my game. And they just play like they bait the team a little bit. They play extra safe. They, yep. like, lose a game with one death. So on the scoreboard, it looks like, well, hey, I yeah, did yeah, all right. Yeah. You know, you just do that shite, don't you? Which, yeah. unfortunately, if, especially in the star roles, it's too easy to get away with in League of Legends. It's too easy. Whereas well, I, I always if think if you're some like the supports number one, support and jungler are number one, number two for this one, then tops third. Mate, there are games where if like if you're Mickey X, for example, if you lose the game and you have like one death, you probably played like a cunt. Like I actually want you for real to be dead loads of times. Like, because what yeah. that means is you went for it, you know, like in the scenario yeah. where we're losing team fight, you went for the player. Like I can that's why certain players I'll allow you a bunch of deaths, mate. It actually shows me you were trying. Yep. Uh I, I don't know if I can answer this next question because I'm just not that familiar with uh, a lot of the depth in the LPL. Like I'm familiar with the top teams, but like let's be real. Most people don't have the time to watch all fucking 17 teams or whatever. How would you build an LPL team with just mid laners? My proposed roster would be top Xiaohu. I think that one's easy. That's an easy one because he has That's played easy. in one fucking MSI. So <laughs> you haven't really taken a gamble on that one. But okay, we'll give you that one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, okay. Jungle support, Doan B and Fofo. So I guess Doan B is obviously a great one because the joke is he was the jungler anyway. So yeah, yeah. that was fine. You know, as long as he can play uh, Sichuan, he's not, not only sent you Yeah, here. I think yeah. Fofo is a good one for a potential jungler of support. Mid and ADC, rookie and knight. Mm, maybe. The thing Maybe. with them is they're so mechanically good. You imagine they would yeah. be very good at fucking ADC, at least the farming part, surely, right? And team fights the monsters too. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's pretty good. I'm not going to probably come up with the hardest better. one's going to be support mix. I don't know who the fuck will put up for support. Come no, on, be. <laughs> or Fofo. It'd have to be I another weird or Fofo one. are good ones. Or you could also um, do Zhao, who was the support, I guess, if you put someone else top, right? Like, what if you had, like, Rookie and Knight as the top and mid? I so you think put Zhao, who was the support. Rookie as a top laner probably be pretty good, too. I mean, there were even games when Knight, back in the original uh, yeah, top, used to sometimes swap to top if they that's had, like, true. the right fucking picks. Or they could, some of them, you could point. even do it. What are the best and worst experience of shoutcasting you have in esports, not including your own? Oh, like not including my eyes. Oh, I guess heard. like who, what are like the worst shoutcasting moments? I guess best and worst shoutcasting moments. I mean, there's so many for that, isn't there? Like, 
There's like an infinite number of bad ones, guys. Like, there's uh, a really funny one people might know from CSGO. And look, he himself will own to this because he claims he was having like a... I think he said he was having like a diabetic shock or something at the time. If you know James Banks, who now is obviously a host in CSGO, way, 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 way back in the day in 2015, they had a Gfinity event, one of those UK ones. They had like all top teams there. And they let him cast the final with Semler, right? When Semler was like the king with Anders. And so this was like a big deal. And he says he had a diabetic shock. I imagine he also, like the moment got to him, it was a lot of pressure, you know. Basically in this final, it's a famous thing, Monty, that he just kept spamming the line over and over again. Would you look at that? Would you look at that? And like they get a like, would you look at that? Would you look? And he just kept saying it so many times that it just became like, like there's a VOD that has it about 40 times. It became so iconically ridiculous. So that's definitely one. Because even when I was watching that, I was going like, he's hearing that line a lot, Rich. He was like, yep, yep, yep. I don't know if there's a, like, I, as far as best ones, I think the best one in the last few years was that uh, Cadian clutch in CSGO. Oh, the way it was casted, uh, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Because if you don't know, the way they set it up, even though it, there's no way this round should ever even be in your mind, they did make it. They even had this line, like, watch out, it's going to be like the clutch of your career. Like, they had all the lines that you, that you gamble, it was and if, if it pays insane. off, it's perfect, in it? Yeah, it was very well done. It was it was sponge and machine. It's actually one of the very best moments I've ever heard in casting because it, it, the, the banter beforehand, when they're just being playful, it's like, oh, there's no yes. way he pulls this off. And like, oh, this would be the clutch of his career. And like, no, there's no way. And then he actually just, like, sneaks up behind this guy and knifes him in the back. It's it's just like, it's fucking yes. amazing. The casting so, is even better than the clip. Exactly. Yeah, the, the casting is actually the best part of it. Yes. Um, but it is it is truly like one of the best moments in, in esports casting history. It is I mean, amazing. even, look, even though people obviously now, he's again a fucking villain who was supposed to pretend doesn't exist. Sadakist has some of the best CSGO clips ever made. He oh, has some of that unbelievable, like, because I mean, he has somewhere he, he's done like, he has those ones where, because of how action can happen in CSGO, He's had ones where he's done one amazing call, then another thing happens in the round, and he spanned that into like another call. And you were like, "Holy, that's yep. like two of the best calls!" Like crossed over peanut butter and jelly style. I mean, like, Sadikus might be the best play-by-play -play caster in esports history. I'm not denying so that. Clips, I just man. think he's an asshole. So <laughs> I think he's clips. an asshole. <laughs> like if people Very don't know the clip, I'll actually give you one off the top of my head. It was from, I think, ESL Cologne and it was when Vitality played against Team Liquid. So I think it was in the final. It's the clip where like. Twists is in the pit on Inferno or CT and he does like a spray down through a Molotov so he dies as he spray like two or three people and so that's the first clip and and, and uh, fucking Sadikis has some great call for like you know it's like something about fire or something right and then it goes and then Zero does like a 3k right after to like win the round and then Sadikis actually tags onto his original like conceptual premise about fire and does something about how like Zero was a god above all ashes or something and he just has some like mad like thing he worked that obviously that part is purely like your reaction you can't possibly know what's going to happen yeah. so it was, just, it was just an unbelievable I remember watching it just being like this guy's just fucking goated me sadly though <laughs> that's why when you have talent like that that you also get all these fucked up elements to people's personalities unfortunately that just tends to go hand in hand. I know it's in life. What uh, do you have an idea for a player slash team stat that you would like to see tracked? Uh, I mean, the, the the trouble is that I don't even get all of the stats that casters have access to in League of Legends because they refuse to release those spreadsheets publicly because Riot are dicks. Like I've got when a I cheat to... answer. The obvious answer <laughs> for me is salary earned. <laughs> yeah. I'd love That'd to know great. that, mate. Wouldn't that oh. be fun? To, imagine even if they just released it today, dude. I'd be straight in there going back to like past year. Oh, it'd be amazing to find dude. out all the exact ones. Dude, it would be 
very good for the industry because it would create compelling off-season content. And it's something that I was trying, I was actually working with Spotrack uh, when I was at Flashpoint. Spotrack is the the salary, the professional sports salary tracking site. Uh, I was talking to them about doing that with Flashpoint because I think it creates interesting narratives um, around, the, like it creates interesting narratives and drives fan engagement and gives immense opportunities for content, especially during the off season to oh, keep sure. interest up when games aren't happening. And honestly, I have never heard a, a good justification for not releasing player salaries. The, the one people fall back to is like, well, people might be mean to them on social media. So they're going to be mean to them because they're making millions of dollars while being bad. I mean, cry me a fucking river. Oh, I had to read a mean tweet while I collected my seven figure annual paycheck. Like who cares, dude? Pro, pro player, put down your fucking phone. Uninstall Twitter. Like, don't get on that shit. You know what I mean? That's a that's a really controllable situation. Especially because you have millions of dollars. We just said, like, well, there's a solution here, guys. You can, you can hire someone to read your Twitter. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pay 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 some kid like you know a hundred bucks a week to read your Twitter. And for also, you and let's be it. real. That 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 issue is like a fake smokescreen, implying like the toxicity is generated like like naturally, Monty. Let's be real. The the way they'd also do it is if you were the guy who was bad but also paid nothing they'd just be laughing that you're a broke bitch with a bad contract like people who are assholes will find a way to be an asshole yeah, no exactly. matter what don't worry about that they'll and find the way, some angle and by the way are, are, where is this mystery cache of people who is going to pop out of the woodwork to be douches on social media just because they learned your salary number where is that group of, those people were going to make the mean tweets anyway they were just going to do it differently <laughs> it, that's not going to that's not like some some like you know factory that's going to produce more assholes the assholes are already there they're just going you're just giving them a different weapon you're just, and it's not even a better weapon it's just a different one um so i i really like it i think it's very good for fan engagement and i think it's very good for content creation and that should be a staple of esports We've made comparisons to the pro lol world and Warhammer 40k during some of the world's co-streams and LS being the god emperor. If this holds up, who's the one who put him on the golden throne? I am not a Warhammer 40k lore expert. That's Nymira we were talking about. So I'm not, or Doa. Doa knows that shit too. I'm not that guy. I, I, know, I know very little friend. about Warhammer 40k, tragically. Um, what are your thoughts on Bunny Fufu's new hustle? Would you consider creating similar, what is he doing? I'll tell you what I thought is. he was just. I thought he was just making youtube what is it? no what no is it? here's what he does he uses like his fame as a streamer etc and his thing and he just as far as i know it's like a it's like a custom only fan site or something he's got a bunch of girls and he even relates it to league like he makes them play a league and then they flash you every time they flash them and then it's like a site you pay for and i assume i don't i assume you just get naked pictures and videos of the girls like as far as i know it's some sort of an only fan style thing but like i think with a custom element where he's the one who makes the money off it or whatever like as far as i can tell this is actually a detail that <laughs> That might surprise people because one element that people didn't actually understand about the, I'm going to say the dreaded name, Andrew Tate case, is one thing they misunderstood was this, Monty. Probably the silliest part that people big up about the idea of doing like OnlyFans and selling pictures online and doing essentially like 
soft core porn in the way, or sometimes it's just porn, to be fair, you can actually have real pornography on the sites, is they present it as like a female empowerment thing, Monty. But I've actually noticed in the majority of cases, it has ties to traditional examples of where women were sexually exploited. Because if you notice, on almost all cases I've seen of really, really big level people, it tends to be that there's a man behind the scenes who actually runs the whole game and he's the one who tells them when to do it, what to do, how to do it. Because the basic premise goes like this, Monty, the most beautiful woman in the world still doesn't know the mind of a man though. She won't know the mind of the fan who wants to connect with her. So she might have very different senses of what they want. So what you tend to get is the reason why there tend to be men involved with this is they can tell the woman, here's here's what he's going to want to hear. Here's the sort of line you cook this type of a client with, or you say this to them. So in this particular case, as far as I know, what he's doing is he's taking a bunch of women who want to be in that world, but have no, they're not famous people. And he's connecting them to his esports fan base where he has all these young guys who are into league and so and it's just that that's the business mechanism as far as I can tell. So all I would say is it basically depends what your opinion is on selling naked pictures online and that sort of thing. So if you're against it, which I'm somewhat against it, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't have anything against Bunny Foo Foo. Just not a big fan of that approach in the modern day. This is, this is just something I didn't even fucking know about. This is so wild. I suppose you right. did it recently. It's popping off apparently. So fair play. I, I mean, it seems like he, I, I, honestly, it seems like he's tapping into a smart market. Like, just to make money. I can't fault him for that. Super weird though. <laughs> Not something I'm particularly interested in. Uh, if you could build the ultimate European super team for LEC and you could put together any five players with coaching staff you want, what would it look like? And what is your thought process behind why the roster would work on paper and how the players would mesh using only okay. current players who are still playing? I think you have to take Dylan Falco at this point in time because he's shown that he is actually very capable of using players even with interesting champion pools propping up rookies i think you definitely take caps in the mid lane i mean based on current performance maybe you take somebody like exa kick in the bot lane um i would still personally i would still stick with yankos considering he's a known quantity and has had that synergy for caps with for years even though you may not he may not want to play with him at this point in time uh who else would i take Honestly, like uh, Photon is a is a sexy choice, but I might might just take Wonder because he's been so consistent and stable for such a long period of time. And I would probably take Trimby at support. So there you go. I have a similar one. What I would do if I'm building a team is I would take Odo on their top because I don't think he can ever actually be bad if he has a good team and he always fits the better. I would take Jankos and Caps to fucking pretty banging duo. I don't know if people have been watching League of Legends. And then I would just take, I would make Upset and Trimby my bot lane. Right, first of all, that's an amazing team already. You can run through mid to bot. And we have all the team fight shape. We have Jankos and we have Trimby mate. Like this team would be pretty banging if it was at its peak. Uh, oh my god well here we go your views and thoughts on japan's de government denying war crimes i don't know what they've been doing recently guys i don't keep tabs on japan's government uh well, i'll say is this i don't by the way that's obviously a topic that is there's zero upside for us to answer like there's yeah, not even because exactly. we're not experts there's not even any interest or entertain elements all i'll say is this if you are in any way from the anglosphere or america let me just say one statement and we can leave it there 
the United States does not acknowledge the Hague Court of Human Rights, uh, or whatever that's called, right? So when all of you all go on the internet and go like, that's a war crime, this is a... you guys don't acknowledge that. You cannot ever be legally taken there for anything your country has done. And so miss me with all these framings of like, did you know that this country invaded a sovereign country? Shut the fuck up, Americans. You are doing that all yourselves. The joke is, you just control it. But I don't say that I invented a, invented a sovereign country. Yeah, no shit. Beyond, as, as someone once said, Ricky Gervais, he said, be nice if we could all write our own reviews wouldn't it like come on for fuck's sake. so that, yeah that whole topic i'm afraid is just a trap we're gonna ignore that one skip that. yeah yeah i, I, no I also just, come out of that i also just don't know what japan's government has been saying recently so I, I i don't know um but also i mean just objectively they were given a kind of a pass at the end of world war ii by the u.s government because the u.s government basically traded immunity to a variety of war crimes for the medical data that was harvested from the horrific experiments that japan did in china um so i mean the u.s made that bargain with them uh favorite monarch or president in history I mean, I hit, spoiler, the problem on this one, by the way, is people can't be an adult, so they'll take it that you agree with everything the other person, so they'll ruin it already. Yeah. So the obvious answer is something like Napoleon, fucking Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, Augustus. These are all bangers, by the way, if you know them, like some of the sickest people of all time. Like Napoleon's a mega fascinating character. Uh, Hadrian, uh, Trajan, Marcus Aurelius. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think there's 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 a lot going on there. I mean, I like, I, I personally really like Teddy Roosevelt. Like I know I don't agree with everything Teddy Roosevelt did, but I think that Teddy Roosevelt had such a like quintessentially American spirit and did really awesome things for the country, like help found the national parks and develop a really strong sense of uh, American identity that I really enjoyed. So there you go. Uh, if pro lol had to have only one champion per role, which champion would you want for each role? Okay. I think like, some of these is, are easy. Like, for example... It's got to be like, Lee Sin, right? <laughs> it's got, like, Jungle should be Lee Sin, just because if you look at historically how he used the role, mid's got to be, like, fucking Oriana or Azir, right? It's got to be one of those two, if you think what the role does. Probably Azir. Because Azir's more exciting to watch, If you watch, just think I about think. what it does, like, you want it to farm up, you want it to get to the team fight, that just feels obvious. What top lane, probably something like Nah, right? It's probably something in that vein. We're probably going for like a bruiser slash tank if you think about what the game usually is done through. Yeah, Nara's a pretty fun, like standard one. Also just a good champion. What I like about yeah. Nara is this Monty. You notice this is what I actually think is good about the bruises in league. If you are a carry player, it's like your excuse to mini carry still. But if you're a weak side player, you can just play it as a tank. Like it's actually that's a, that's why that champion will always be eternally in the meta as well. It's just another good one. What would the most prototypical ADC be? Uh, Thrush is probably support. He's probably the most interesting support throughout history, which also has playmaking capabilities. Uh, what would probably be the most interesting ADC? Uh, I'm mean, assuming we're not picking some of the bonkers shit now that isn't even ADC. Like, Caitlyn's always a classic, right? Yeah, I always feel like if, you're, if you're a good player, I feel like Caitlyn's one of the champions you're going to be one of the best on, you know? Especially after the Caitlyn rework. I think Caitlyn offers interesting utility and also, like, when they changed her headshot mechanic 
and like the way that it interacts with traps was pretty interesting. By the way, if I could go back in time, there's another thing you do with the Griff's, you know, fucking sports almanac where you just know information other people don't know, Monty. What's so sad is if I rocked up in like season three, I would look like a god just from putting Caitlin traps under people in brushes, mate. Like, it's actually mad that that was so rarely used, that fucking mechanic. Isn't that nuts? Like, dude, people didn't even used to use it to get like a gank off in lane like you can. It's so mad, isn't it? No one was ever yeah. putting any points in that shit. It was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you would win I, I so many fights if you just did it. It was ridiculous. I, I think it's harder for ADCs because the, the problem with ADCs is their kits can only be so interesting because they are reliant on the mechanics of the player using them with auto attacks. So if a player is really good at orb walking and spacing and auto attacks, like you can only, it's, it's like hit scan, like hit scan heroes in Overwatch. You know, if you have hit scan and somebody's really good at aiming, you can't actually give that hit scan hero too much of a kit. Otherwise, they become unbelievably broken. And so you can't actually give 80 carries that much interesting, that many interesting or effective abilities because then they become broken. So like Ezreal is very standard in the meta, but he's like really fucking boring. Uh, so I guess Caitlyn's a little bit more interesting. I would also say as well, let me think what the final point should be on this one. Like, to me, the other thing about this lineup is, if you actually look at it, a lot of the champions that we're picking are just like the most boring but obvious champion for that role. They're not that sexy, a lot of them. But these, yeah. I think they are all pretty good prototypical champions for what the role should do, you know? But they're also versatile in that you can do different things with them, and they can, they have a they have high skill expression. If that makes sense, like there's different ways to play a lot of these, and you can see a, a big a big ceiling. Uh, so that was the last question. Again, join our Discord, please. The link will be below the YouTube video. Um, if you are listening on podcast, just go to the YouTube channel and click it there. Um, or it'll be in the, the Twitch chat. And we'll be back with some Best Damn League show tomorrow for you guys. And keep on rolling throughout this week. Thanks for joining us.